Late Night Movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob. And here on Cinemodities, we want to bring you something in this series, this miscellaneous series, as I think we're calling it, uh, that's a that's a little bit of a palate cleanser. So we started off our miscellaneous series last week uh, with America's Got Talent. We followed that up pretty quickly in the same week with Jurassic World and kind of just dinosaurs as a whole. And we mentioned in that episode we were going to move on to the new dinosaur movie, uh, Jurassic World 2, Dinosaur Boogaloo. But of course that hasn't come out yet. And we need both of us, Zach and I, well, I, I think since... Zach hasn't given me any of his opinions on this week's movie. I can only speak for myself. We needed a palate cleanser. We needed something away from the dinosaurs, from the cloning, from the stupidity of people trying to deal with carnivorous creatures that shouldn't exist and are CGI'd. We had to get away from all of that and just get back to some good, homegrown FBI versus the Mexican cartel violence, right? That's our palate cleanser this week. We just needed that good cartel violence to to wash away the dinosaurs. What do you think, Zach? That's how I viewed this week's movie. How about you? It's funny you mention it like that, because as uh, I was uh, thinking about this movie over the last few days, I was like, wow, this is the first movie that we've actually done that isn't either outright horrible or a morbid curiosity. And then Rob's, I think Rob summarized it pretty good. We're talking about a cartel movie against the CIA. So <laughs> I, guess, I guess one man's uh, normal is, uh, is another man's bizarre and off kilter. But here we are. Uh, right this, on. Like Rob mentioned, today's movie is, I don't know, did you mention the title? I did not. I just told oh, him that it was I, Mexican violence. <laughs> I think we should just keep talking for the entire episode without mentioning the title. So the entire audience is like, what are they talking about? Well, like, one of we my, about the actors enough. One of my major points is how you pronounce the title. So we have to talk about the title. <laughs> oh, all right. So we're, we're going to have to give it away, unfortunately. So the movie this week is, drumroll please, 2015 Sicario. Directed by Denis Villeneuve, who everybody probably knows from Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, and Rob's, Rob's favorite film of the last decade, Enemy. Maybe of the last, maybe of this year. I would say it's my favorite film of this year, Enemy. Because I saw it this year. I didn't see it when the year it came out, whenever that was. But yes, I want to push back. Do they ever say the title of the movie in the movie? No, unfortunately, there is no. Uh, so we never, like we never get an actual pronunciation, right? No. I've only ever heard you say this word to me, Zach, Sicario. As we as we get to learn in the opening text of the movie, it, it translates to Hitman in Spanish. But Sicario? <laughs> what? Do we have an argument why it wouldn't be Sicario? We can only hope that is the correct pronunciation. We've been saying <laughs> it wrong this entire time. I'm, I'm throwing away all of our notions of, of the Spanish language, of the Spanish dialects, Sicario. Can we Sicario. can we just say that's our established pronunciation, Sicario? So what you're saying is Benicio del Toro is a Sicario. Yes. <laughs> well, what I, what I am honestly saying is Benicio del Toro is a ah. Sicario. That's what I'm saying. 
Uh, <laughs> Zach is Zach is confused. <laughs> I am so confused. Um, okay, I'm yes, lost. In all the uh, ways I imagine this conversation going, this was not one. Of them. <laughs> um, so yes, we are talking about what year did you say it was, Zach? 2015. 2015. Okay, so so fairly recent. That's keeping in intact uh, with what I said at the end of our claws episode that we're doing more recent things. 2015 is is pretty close to recent. Uh, and Sicario, a good old cartel violence movie we got the fbi and cia versus the cartel and as zach said i can never remember this guy's pronoun denny villa villanue denny villanue denny villanue there's like 12 extra letters than what we're pronouncing which is why i'm confused um but yeah can we talk about him a little bit just just a little bit sure okay uh what other movies of his have you seen zach that's, I've, I think, where I start. I've seen uh, Prisoners. I've seen Blade Runner 2049. And I have seen this. Wow. Okay. I, I have seen this. I've seen Enemy. And I saw Arrival. So we have no overlap except for this movie in his filmography? It seems so. Hot damn. Okay. I did not expect that. Did any of the two other two than this you saw really stand out to you? Because, of course, we already mentioned Enemy stood out to me quite a bit. Uh, what about Blade Runner or Prisoners? Yeah, Prisoners uh, Prisoners is when I think most people heard of him. That's really when he kind of hit the map because that movie stars uh, Hug Jackman and oh. uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, oh. uh, Hug Jackman is uh, Hugh Jackman for those in uh, Realville. So <laughs> much like all these other – because Sicario, it's Hug Jackman. But, uh, no, I like uh, when Prisoners came out, I actually knew a lot about the movie. Funny story about uh, Prisoners. I remember when I was in college, and some person's like, oh, I just saw Prisoners last night. And for some reason, I knew that Jake Gyllenhaal's character's name is Detective Loki. And I turned around to the guy, and I'm like, oh, so how is Detective Loki? And the guy's like, who the hell is that? I'm like, that's Jake Gyllenhaal. He's like, oh, so you saw the movie? And I'm like, no. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was a great conversation. I nice. saw that on DVD when it came out. I liked it for the most part. It's uh, it's way too long. It's I think it's like a two and a half hour long movie. We probably could boil it down to maybe an hour and forty five. Um, there's Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which I imagine most people have either seen it or at the very least heard of it. Mm-hmm. I have very complex feelings on Blade Runner as a series. Uh, the sequel is infinitely better than the first one, but that's not saying much. It's if I could describe the Blade Runner franchise, the Blade Runner, the first one is like a hollow chocolate Easter bunny. It's fine, but it gives you a sugar high, no more, no less. The second one is a sugar uh, or a uh, chocolate bunny once again, but it's filled with marshmallow fluff. Ooh. It's uh, it's better, but not by much. Okay, okay, there you go. Right on, right on. Well, of the two that I saw, other than Sicario, um, uh, Enemy was spectacular. I would. Absolutely recommend Enemy to everyone listening to this, including Zach. Um, one of the things I look for in movies is if they, they really make me care about them. I really like cathartic experiences from the movies I watch. I threw on Enemy late at night, and very much like Zach with Claws, uh, for the first 15 or 20 minutes, I really thought I should turn it off. I was really like, this is boring, this is pointless, why did I choose to watch this? I could go I could go watch Law and Order and be happier than watching this boring movie. And then this movie, literally one shot in this movie, made me stand up, and I stood for the remaining hour and 40 minutes, I think. I was so enthralled in Enemy. I loved it. Uh, I recommend it. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it on here. Arrival, 
Not so much. I fundamentally disagree with the premise of Arrival. Uh, Zach, I can see Zach right now. He's got two spray bottles of what I can only assume is battery acid. It might be battery acid in one and something else that reacts with battery acid in the other. Um, I fundamentally disagree with the Sapir Wharf hypothesis, but that is a story for another time. The question I have for us, Zach, for both of us, because uh, between the two, we've kind of seen a lot of his movies, maybe all of them. I'm not familiar with his entire discography. Do all his movies start with text? Did the two, did, did Blade Runner 2049 and Prisoners, did they have, a, did they have words before any shot? Much like Sicario does, we get the definition of Sicario, Sicario, sorry, before the movie begins. There's text before arrival, I'm pretty sure. There's absolutely text before enemy. I think it says chaos is uh, order unorganized or something to that extent. What about your movies, Zach? Do they have text at start? Uh, I don't remember. I think Prisoners, um, I, I, I don't remember. I've only seen Blade Runner 2049 once. I, so I, I, if you're telling me that the other two have text, I would, I'm inclined to believe they probably do. Maybe not Blade Runner 24. Well, Blade Runner 2049 has to. I, that just that, that is a very dense movie. Walking into it, like uh, continuity wise, so okay, I'd be, I'd be yes. hard pressed if that doesn't have it. Um, prisoners, no idea. Okay, well, I think that's so. Of course, this is nothing new. If you if you think of text before a movie, Star Wars is the first thing that comes to everybody's mind. I would imagine, but that has a very uh, unique way of presenting the text. At least the Star Wars that everybody thinks of with the crawl, with the title crawl. Um, this is just straight-up words. Sicario, I actually think we get multiple shots of words. I think there's two whole, like, frames. I might not be using the right term, uh, but there's two kind of scenes of text at the beginning. Uh, Enemy only has one. What do you think about this, Zach? I mean, I don't know if this is a question I've ever posed on Cinemodities before, but there are certain things that when I notice directors doing them, I'm just kind of like, Why? And, and this is one of those things. I think if I directed a movie, I wouldn't put text at the start. I don't think that really works at the beginning of movies. So what do you think? I think you have to look at two separate ways. Like one, like something like Star Wars, it's context to, for, for new audience members. It's a mm -hmm. way of, uh, it's kind of like an elevator, so to speak, so people who are... Uh, aren't in on the ground floor have a way of accessing the you're, material you're right and i should i should qualify what i asked you because there's a big difference between the text we see for example at the beginning of sicario and the text we see at the beginning of a new hope the text at the beginning of a new hope or any of the of, the, of you know the star wars movies that is what zach said it's the it's the elevator it's setting the stage the the enemy and the sicario text is just kind of like a few lines that uh, can we really expect the audience to remember? I think that's the thing I'm more confused about. I would well, never put a sentence because I would never think that, you know, the audience is going to carry that with them the whole movie. Not that they're, you know, that they can't. They just won't. Well, I think it's it's I, I think it's a it's a matter of looking at it like one is like for Sicario, it's aesthetics. I would push back that the again going back to Star Wars. I think the opening crawl for A New Hope is aesthetics. It's not a crutch because everything that's said in that opening crawl is not meant for. Well, when people originally watched that film, no one was meant to understand what what that meant. Yes, it was uh, it was setting it was meant to set a mood, much like uh, Sicario does. Again, I can't speak to uh, Enemy or Arrival, mm -hmm. but I don't think this is intended to be a crutch. Like like when you go into Star Wars Episode Forty Five. 
and it begins with a crawl. That is a crutch. <laughs> this is done as a, or like I said, it, it's an elevator up to the tenth floor. It's not meant to. It's not meant for you to have to take the stairs. But with this, I think it's there for aesthetics. It's meant there okay. to because again, it's worth noting that it begins with obviously Sicario means uh, hitman in Spanish, but it also was what what was the other one about? It was a. Uh, it was the foundation of the term where where the idea of a Sicario or a hitman. Or just that concept was from ancient Rome when there were certain people who would kind of come in and force others out or force them or kill them forcefully and take their property, something like that. I think that's meant to set a mood. It's meant to yes. establish. Yeah, okay. it's, 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 it's like almost like an establishing shot, but instead of uh, images, it's text. It's Again, it's, it's an artistic okay. decision. Fair, now, well, I, guess fair. I would imagine like the Blade Runner 2049 version of that, whether it does exist or not. Uh, Rob and I will find out about that, and you'll hear another uh, Rob breaking <laughs> yeah. up. Hi, hey kids, Zach's wrong. Twenty forty nine didn't have an opening crawl. Um, I don't think Zach has been wrong yet, so we can only hope. <laughs> I we can only hope that we get this break in. And no, okay. cue the break in. Hey kids, Zach is right. Blade Runner twenty forty nine has basically a book at the start of it. But Rob is wrong. Arrival has no text at the beginning other than the name of the production company. So, and <laughs> okay, like, so okay. no, like we're Blade Runner 2049 obviously is meant for people. Like, again, there's people seeing that movie who have not seen the first one, so you have to give them entrance into it. But with yeah. Sicario, nobody needs to uh, formally read up on the uh, semantics of that word in order to fully appreciate the film. Yes, yes. So, I will say that uh, earlier I mentioned that I don't usually like text at the beginning of movies. That is not an absolute. Um, I think at the beginning of the Guy Ritchie movie Revolver. We actually get like a lot of text, but it is it is things that come up later in the movie, and they come up quick enough for you to remember that we had seen it in words at the start. So I really thought that worked. And also, with with uh, Zach and our audience, for how much you know about me so far, you have to know that I sat down, I turned on Sicario, and as it was starting... I was like, oh my god, I don't know what Sicario means, I should Google it. And as I was picking up my phone, and the movie gave me the definition, I got a boner. <laughs> like, that, that is the greatest thing. When the movie gives me information that I wanted to know, I got a boner. Good for you. That's uh, coming up. That line is in the movie. There's a, there's a reason I'm saying I got a boner, because someone in this movie yes, says they that, get a boner. That is, that's so there's, a reason I, there's a reason I had an erection at this point. <laughs> good for you. Um, so we've been talking 15 minutes, though, but we haven't gotten into it yet. Rob, um, yes. I'm the one who suggested this to you, so yep, I, think I, had you never, infer that I I enjoyed it. So did you enjoy this? You know what? When I watched the movie, as I was watching it, I felt a little out of the loop. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, in my notes, I have that I, I think while I was watching this movie, I, I might have been having, like, mini blackouts. Because <laughs> every scene, when they were doing something and it was really tense, I was kind of like, why are they there? Like, what is, like why is this so tense? I, for some reason, while I was watching this movie... I had some difficulty in understanding motivations of actions. I, I don't know... I mean, Zach even gave me, it had subtitles. I was reading it while I was watching it, but, you know, there was something I wasn't catching. Like, the whole first scene where they go down to Mexico, I'm like, why, I'm like, why is this a big military operation? Why is Emily Blunt there? Like, aren't they going to talk to somebody? 
And when then they when they go extract somebody, I'm like, oh, I missed that. I didn't know they were extracting somebody. I thought they were going to meet somebody. So as I was watching this, I felt a little distant from it. But after I watched it and I thought about it and I listened to my commentary and I made my notes, I actually started to think about this movie and I I was really tempted to watch it again. Literally, from the moment I stopped watching this movie, from when it ended, to now, when we're talking about it, my interest in this movie has only grown. I'm, I'm, I didn't go back and watch it again, but I'm really tempted to do so. Because I feel there was more there that I didn't grab onto that first time. And so, to answer your question, Zach, I fucking loved it. It was great. The, a movie, A movie pushed me away but drew me back in kind of in the inverted way a movie is supposed to do. And I'm thrilled by that fact. So, yes, Zach, I loved it. I'm going to watch it again. Um, I'm even tempted to say I'm going to go see the sequel. Uh-uh. Okay, there's a lot, there's a lot to dig in there. Um, first, there was. I jumped, in, I jumped into a bit, but, but first, man. First, I Alex Lenzer. But before we get into uh, my thoughts on this, I want to do a qu- We don't usually do this here. But I think this is a major facet of the uh, viewing experience or understanding this film. I think we do, should do a plot breakdown. Um, spoiler alert for a movie that's been out for almost three years. Um, <laughs> the movie stars Emily Blunt, Benicio Del Toro, Josh Brolin. Um, Emily Blunt is an FBI agent who is uh, brought into a covert operation to uh, disrupt the Mexican drug cartels and their operation. Um uh, Josh Brolin and Benicio del Toro are shady government people. We really don't have a firm grasp on what or who they are, who they work for, until very late in the film. Oh, and I was going to say pro- ever. I was going to say yeah. we don't have a firm grasp on who they are. Nah, like yeah, I, 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 I've seen it now three times, and I'm pretty firm grasp. And actually, I want, I want to get into my thoughts because a lot of what Rob yes. brought up is what I want to discuss. But I just want to give a breakdown because this is not a movie. Um, like when we're talking about Sophia the First, we can kind of just talk about how stupid it is without having to kind of give our audience a breadcrumbs to follow us. I found this a book not- inside my book. Clover, I found this book inside my book. There you go. This is the stable. <laughs> so, like, no, like this is not something where we can just kind of like throw you into the deep end and expect you to kind of like like uh, tread water along with us. Uh, but no, the whole point of the movie is that uh, Emily Blunt is kind of thrown into this like really dark world. Where um, it's a theme of this movie, along with many other films in the post 9 11 era of cinema. And as time goes on, she learns what Benicio del Toro and Josh Brolin are up to. She corrupts more and more of herself. Uh, I don't want to give any more of the plot away because I think we could discuss this film in length without giving away major uh, beat, uh, plot beats. But I think that's the easy way to say she, she's a clean cut FBI agent and she's dragged down into the muck. What is And the, she, she has to compromise. I'm what? trying to think of what you could give away about this movie. Even give things. Like, there's, there's elements of this that if you know if they're coming, it kind of ruins the moment for you. Like, we can say, oh, when this actor actor shows up, they're this. And you know what? Kinda, that's like, undercuts that's fair. A scene. That's it undercuts fair. undercuts scenes. But I don't, think, I don't think you can ruin this movie for anybody because I think this movie does a very good job of standing on its own. But you could definitely undercut some of the – it's also a very tense movie. This is not a – there's a lot of dramatic tension. It, it's very suspenseful. It dials things up to 11. And I think, yeah. So I guess I don't want to give too much away. But no, getting into what Rob was saying. So that's the breakdown of the plot uh, in yes, the most briefest yes. way possible. I, but, I would uh, like to add one one thing that okay. Zach did not mention. Um, Emily Blunt attempts to smoke a cigarette. 
I don't think she ever actually gets it lit in the movie, but I found that to be a very major part of the movie, that she wants to smoke a cigarette and can't. Well, that's also very symbolic of her, uh, her entire uh, conflict as a character further further into the film. It, but, it's also a woman smoking a cigarette, which I think we've established is one of my favorite things in movies. <laughs> okay, that's 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 okay. Cue the okay. This might not be the breaking new ground for Rob, but it's the breaking new ground for Zach. Sand. I mean, this is Emily Blunt is is no Haviland Morris from Gremlins Two. Like I'm still going full on Team Haviland Morris, chain smoking with ambition. That's a winning combination. Emily Blunt screaming at people and not being able to light a cigarette. That's that's. Like first step of the ladder. <laughs> I, I, I no comment. But yeah, that's um, my one addition to the plot. Emily th- Blunt th- attempts to smoke. Thank you. Well, we'll get back to that in a moment. Uh, but no. So when I first saw this film, I think I told Rob this briefly. I saw this. It had to be right after the DVD came out. Got it from my local library because people were talking about it. Watched it. Didn't have that that strong of an opinion on it. If anything, uh, much like Rob said, I was. Re- I think this is a very disorienting movie. Intentionally so. It's not uh, because it's an incompetent filmmaker, but I think it's meant to do that because the whole point of Emily Blunt's character is that she's being, again, much like uh, our audience, she's being thrown into the deep end of the the pool with a lot of what's going around with her, with like Josh Brolin and Benicio del Toro are doing, and she really doesn't know which way is up half the time because this so many the plot and the actions of the of Benicio del Toro and Josh Brolin are just so f- quick and loose and fast that she just kind of goes along with the flow. She like what's like with Robson. There's a point where, like, oh, they get on a plane, then they're in Texas, then they're going to Juarez, Mexico, and then this happens, and it's just like it just it it pinballs around. Where like yep. it, it just it it kind of just hits you, and you're like you, just, you have to kind of go with it. There's actually a, a quote in the movie where one of the character or one of the uh, side not, eh, not side character, but like one of the like. Not extras, like hits another one of the main characters, like, just let it happen, baby. Just let it go. Just lay back, baby. Let it happen. And that's kind of what the movie's telling you after the Juarez Mexico scene. I thought thought you were going to reference the line that Benicio Deltaro says. He states to Emily Blunt, nothing will make sense to your American ears. Listen, nothing will make sense to your American ears. I thought that's. Like when, that's a great line. I thought, like at that point in the movie, which is no, this is before they go to Juarez. I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to understand anything. <laughs> well, I, like I said, that's what I, I think. That's the whole thing of the movie is that you're not until you read. Like I said, I've watched it three times, and like I said, the first time I watched it, I didn't think much. I didn't really think much. I watched it. I'm like, this is like it, it's not. It's it's a well made film, but it's nothing I would call spectacular. It's very disorienting. It's a uh, very cold. And I'm like, okay, fine. Like, I knew what they were going for, fine. And then I hadn't seen it, and it had to be a guy at least two years. And one day, I'm like, I think I saw because I they announced the sequel. There's a trailer for the sequel, and I heard it announced. I remembered enough about the movie. I'm like, how on earth would you make a sequel about this? Like, I had no idea how you make a sequel about this. And I watched the trailer, and the trailer is like almost almost as incomprehensible as a trailer can be. I'm like, I have no idea how you're going to sell people on seeing a sequel based on this trailer because it's just like what and so <laughs> I, I, I didn't think much of it i'm like i'll watch it when it comes out on dvd i'll get it from the library and then like another couple of weeks went by and i'm like i really like for some reason it's got inside my head and I'm like i really want to watch sicario and i'm not kidding you i turned like like an hour after i had that thought i turned cable tv on and just starting on fx was sicario 
And I'm like, well, this is this is a sign. I have to watch the movie now. <laughs> like, it really wasn't. Like, it's one of those spooky things that happens. I call it, uh, I think I'm going to coin the term right here. It's, quote, the universe winking at you. When you just like, again, it's, it, I know Rob and his scientific mind would call it a coincidence. But no, like, when you no, think about to... something, it, it just happens of all of a sudden. Out of thin air. Like, I had no idea it was going to be on TV. And what's the likelihood at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday, I'm thinking about this movie. And then less than two hours later, I turn on TV just as it's starting. Okay, let's, like, let's call it, uh, I will accept if we call it either the universe fucked your brain or God fucked your brain. I'll accept both schools of faith but that's that's brain fucking if i've ever heard of it right i call it the universe winking at you but sure let's there there can be penetration involved why not (laughs) um so there was that so i watched it the second time i usually hate watching things on t like on cable tv yeah who does unless commercials no not i don't care about commercials oh i usually i usually oh wait what's the what's the no, what's the Zach clip from my response to True Detective? You you are the worst human being. Wait, wait hold on. I have to do my I have to do my Margin Marge Simpson impression. You are the worst human. Damn it! I watched Simpsons yesterday. I can't do a good Marge Simpson. <laughs> Let me. Okay, okay. I didn't say that correctly. Um, I have a DVR. What I usually do if there's something I want to watch and I'm not taping it, I put it I put it on and I usually do something for like 15, 20 minutes so I have a buffer so I can fast forward through the commercials. Um, I create a buffer. Like that's what I usually do. The reason why I don't like cable is because they edit things. Like I am a, a I am a hound for uh, original like the cut of things. Like I don't like things trimmed down for time or content. Yeah, and yeah. especially something like Sicario, I was terrified that they would edit the crap out of the movie. But I was in luck. It was on FX and FX. Like as I was watching it again yesterday, since watching it on FX, I had bought the Blu-ray. And as I was watching it, there's only one sequence that wasn't even cut out. It was trimmed slightly, maybe like, like a fraction of a second. And bl- another scene was blurred out. And that was it. So, like, God give FX credit. FX does not edit crap. <laughs> and the funny, the only two scenes that were cut down when the, uh, uh, oh, God, what would you call it? The little, it's not a garage, but like the little, like, mini garage. Not, oh, my God, what would you even call it? The shed. The little, like, shed oh, in the beginning yeah. of the movie. And you yeah. see the guy's like like exposed brain. That that was cut out. They cut like the arm is still there in the FX cut, or I guess the TV broadcast cut. But the the brain exposed is missing. And during the when they're going through Juarez and the people are, are strung up by their ank- strung up by their heels. Oh yeah, they're sure. blurred out. Like you can tell there's a person hanging there, but they're blurred out. Yeah. Oh, they blur out the whole person, not just they the blur out. Uh, I'm pretty sure they blur. I think they, they they maybe not the head, but that the, the torso is clearly blurred out, like everything okay, okay. from neck neck down to uh, gotcha. maybe top of knees. Gotcha. Um, but gotcha. like no, I watched it on on FX. I was like, I'm like, this is like this is great, and like it's one of those things. Like I again, I I, I don't think I talked to Rob about it yet, but it was floating out in the ethers, kind of like because I couldn't figure out what we would put it in, like a series, because like, it's really I like, outside maybe doing a, a crime crime movie series or like a drug drug series which zach is never gonna do because he knows as soon as he offers up anything related to crime i'm gonna pitch him an infinite amount of law and order episodes (laughs) well (laughs) actually he will will never bring that to me (laughs) i'm a little surprised at rob's reaction to this i was honestly expecting uh, an opinion from him it's like zach i want to like this movie but i can't you know me i am a drug fiend and this movie is obviously not pro-drug fiend. So how can I like a movie that stops on the thing I love? 
and that's what I was kind of like, kind of like, like when he said he loved it, I'm like a little bit shocked. I was, I was expecting him to take that angle. That sounds like an angle he would take. It's like Zach, real well-made movie, but God protect my drugs. And well, that's Zach, to it, be fair. I lo- I don't love all drugs. I love specific drugs. <laughs> but still, I would imagine Rob would shield the drugs over the movie because this is not a very pro. It's not an anti-drug movie, no, but it's a no, it's, it's a very. It's like it, with the it, dinosaurs. Who gives the dinosaurs aren't real as far as I'm concerned. The movie can do whatever the fuck they want with them. The, this is a movie's depiction of cartels and drugs. Who cares what they do with them, you know? That's how I, I feel. That's how you care. But I think it's a very realistic a realistic take on that. Uh, well, uh, you know, Zach might think otherwise, but I'm not very ingrained in the cartel community. <laughs> I, have no I never said that. I said drug fiend, like. not a cartel fiend. Well, this this movie isn't about drug fiends. It's about the cartel inner workings, I feel. But I, I have no knowledge. complimentary terms. <laughs> Yes, every every time I go into the into the actual storefront to buy my marijuana, I'm basically going to a cartel leader. Yes, you're going to Benicio del Toro and Josh Brolin. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I would I would certainly love to buy this legal marijuana from the cartel. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but like, but so going back to the whole thing, watch it the second time. I, I enjoyed it, but I still didn't know what to make of it or how I was going to approach the topic with Rob. And then I went to Target one week, and they had the film for $5 with a 20% off coupon. Whoa. And so for 4 bucks, I oh said, God. how can I go wrong? Yo, I would buy that in a heartbeat. Yeah, I was, I, it's funny on the website. It was like, I remember looking on the website. It was like $25. I'm like, I'm not spending $25 on that. And I went to the store. It's like 5 bucks, And I'm like, sold. Then it's like, oh, there's a coupon for an extra dollar off. And I'm like, Boom. Yeah. Yeah, Target has some great deals. Yeah, you gotta go to Target. Oh uh, man. Okay, okay. But uh no, and I watched it yesterday for a third time, and much of the disorient now that I know what I'm getting myself into, much of the disorienting effect is gone because I know uh the twist and turns the plot takes. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I think this is a, I wouldn't say this is uh one of my favorite films, but I think this is a movie that if it came out maybe twenty years ago, would have been like a movie that would have like rocked everybody. Like this feels like traffic. Like what traffic was like in two thousand, another Benicio oh, del Toro film. Yeah. Yep. I feel like this would have been just that. Where like people was mo- like nowadays this movie like I'm kind of amazed this got a sequel because it didn't make a ton of money at the box office. And I like, this is one of those movies I'm like like, it's amazing how some of these movies do well, but, like, 15, 20 years ago, I think this will have blown the socks off people. That's an interesting point. Um, I, I feel like the material that this movie deals with, the cartel violence, the, you know, the American government doing whatever they can to stop the flow of drugs from Mexico into the southern part of the United States, I think that's something that now, it, well, now and in 2015, people were, I don't want to say familiar with, but ready to palate. They were ready to, to, to view that in a movie. 20 years ago, I don't think anybody was. Sure, the same thing was happening, but I, I actually, that would be a really, really cool experiment. If we could run it, of course we can't. Uh, that would be awesome to see how this movie would fare in kind of previous years' audiences. That's a really interesting point. I think um, it can. I think, I think it's traffic. I think traffic is the example that... If you if you take a you know traffic's a different movie than this yeah yeah I think I think that this whole element that you sit there and obviously things aren't sophisticated like you obviously don't have drone technology and mm-hmm. GPS so is uh, prevalent where it's like oh you have all these things 
But like, if you, if you strip the movie down to like '90s era of doing this, and you still have someone like uh, Benicio del Toro's character, who's kind of like pretty much like a Jason Bourne mixed with a little bit of James Bond. Yep. And I guess I, I think this is one of those movies again because this movie did not make a lot of money. I think it made like eighty eighty five million dollars worldwide. So like, this was not a a movie that sat there. I, I again it had a couple Oscar nominations, but unless you were hmm. really Oh God! Had your uh, ear to the ground with movies that yeah. Oscar season, you really were not aware of this. I don't think, it, and that's why again the sequel is kind of shocking because I don't think anybody's really. It's not like John Wick where the first John Wick came out. Like, this was like another like a John Wick where like it came out of nowhere, didn't make a lot of money, but like it like home video sales were like out of this world. And never mind, John Wick's also an infinitely more pulpy premise oh absolutely who can't get behind you killed my dog i'm gonna kill you like who exactly. can't get behind that that's and that's something this is just like again we're having a difficult like we we summed up what this movie's about but it's hard to like you can't just like john wick's a movie you could play for pretty much anyone like over the age of 12 and like they'll appreciate it yes this is like you really have to be kind of prepared for what you're about to watch and have an open mind for what in, for the twist, not because the content's bad or anything, but just for the twist and turns, it's going to take take you on the journey. I would say for the twist and turns, and really more generally for the tone, that was something that kind of caught me off guard when I watched it because you know I threw it on really only knowing that Zach had told me about it. It was by a director of a movie of one movie I loved, one movie I didn't love, um, and we were doing it for our show. And you know, honestly. That, like, first shot where the fucking FBI truck drives into a building, I was like, whoa, I did not expect that. And that really set the tone for the whole movie of, I think you mentioned it before, it's very tense. And and that's something that, you know, I think you have to be ready for. I think, you know, not to jump ahead of ourselves, but if I was going to show this to anybody as a late night movie, they would probably be upset because it keeps them awake because there's so much adrenaline in the beginning of it, you know, with the truck driving into the building, uh, Emily Blunt almost getting her head shot off, and then finding 50 million bodies in the walls. That's a that's a really tense opening. It's also, you have, it's definitely a creepy visual because obviously they shoot through, uh, Emily Blunt almost gets, uh, her, like you said, her head blown off, and they start going through the wall. Like, obviously they see the hole in the wall, and they start pulling things apart. And it's a very creepy visual, the fact that you have bodies buried upright, vertically upright in all the walls. It is. It is a creepy visual, but I'm I'm sorry to cut you off, Zach, but we have to agree that is not a long-term solution. There was no way to prevent those bodies from decaying. There was no way to – wasn't only the heads wrapped in plastic or something? Well, I think that's part of – like that – it's interesting you mentioned that because that is part of it, though, is that the bodies are there – they're propped upright somehow. It's never explained how they're propped upright. Yeah, it's like, it's just like their center of gravity is aligned so they can rest against the rafters or something. Yeah, we are led to believe. Which is which is I, I, I'm not a doctor here, but I'm pretty sure that's physically not possible considering a decomposing corpse. Neither of us are doctors. Stiff as a board. Neither and, of us are doctors, Zach. <laughs> no. Um, but like I said, the, the bag over their head, it's a very ghoulish visual because you cannot see faces. It's just, you have a bloody body and you have this plastic like void of a face. That's a good point because um, you can't see their faces. There, there are shots of individual bodies or, you know, maybe two or three end individual bodies where you just see the head and you can only make out the, you know, condensed 
filled bag that they suffocated in. That's a good exactly. point. I didn't, I didn't think about that. You see no human features. You know it's a human because of the shape of the body, but you don't see the face. You just see the remnants of what killed them. Oh. And that, and that even ties into the whole thing that happens during the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 I don't want to call it the car, what'd you call it? It's not a car chase through Juarez. Uh, You're talking about like the first action scene where they do the uh, extraction Jackson. Yeah, extraction, extraction scene, and you sit extraction there. Extraction Jackson. That's what we're calling it. Oh God. Because um, because like I said before, I didn't know they were extracting somebody, and I was really confused when they were going down there, and they got like a giant police military escort, like a like the Mexico police had a fucking turret on the back of one of their trucks to guide them, and. I was like, aren't they going to talk to somebody? Like, what is happening? But then I realized they were doing Extraction Jackson. And it is. Yes, it's yes. Extraction Jackson. And that's the, that, that is both the act of what they did and the character's name that they extract. So I'm with you. I'm with you, Zach. That's what I'm saying. I'm just, I'm just letting you know the definitions. But, but I'm with you. Extraction yeah, Jackson. Yes. Extraction Jackson. Uh, but going back to the bodies with Extraction Jackson, as they're going through the Juarez and they see the upside or the, the body strung up from the overpass. Yes. And it ties into that, too. And even uh, Benicio Del Toro has the line, is that that's what the cartels do. They go so overboard or their uh, means of killing you is so extreme, it makes the people who are witnessing it saying, obviously if someone was murdered so brutally, they must have had it coming to them. They make people think they must have been involved, they must deserve such a death because they did something. I think that's the whole point. You're not just simply being murdered by the cartels. You're being, you know, your, your whole humanity is being stripped from you along with your life. Yes. And he and, and Benicio Dotto brings that up again too because I don't want to give it away, but that's the reason why he's in this world is because of what happened to uh, his family, what the cartels did to his family. Yes. And just one thing I want to bring up plot wise: um, we talked about like Emily Blunt being brought into this world. Mm-hmm. It's not like she's being brought into this world because uh, or against her will or even reluctantly. It's that she's an FBI agent who's part of like what hostage hostage rescue. So uh, when I when I looked into this movie afterwards, uh, I was really interested to, interested to see that uh, in the plot synopsis they refer to her unit as like an intensive response unit. It's something I had never heard of before, but I believe that's what it was called, intensive response. It's like, and it is a real thing. It's the people who who uh, go after the the hostage situations and like the SWAT team situations and things like that, which was pretty cool. They, they, once again, they gave me more knowledge. I love that. <laughs> All right. But like I said, that's, that's what she's doing. Though. She's not, she's not a, a narcotics cop. She's not ATF. She's, she's in the field. She's getting shot at. That's the what? whole establishment of the first scene. She's in it. She, she, she's good at it. She cares about it. Well, she's in it though, but her job is not to go after the cartels. That's not her explicit job. Yeah. So, yeah. so Benicio, yeah. so uh, Josh Brolin shows up, and that's it's another very clever scene where obviously her and her partner David Kaluuya, who everybody knows from Get Out, he's been in a bunch. Of, he's been in a bunch of other things. He was in Black Panther. Yeah, I think um, it's Daniel. I think you said David, but I'm pretty sure. It's oh, Daniel. It is. Da- oh, I'm sorry, Daniel Kaluuya. I think it's Daniel. Yeah, yes. yeah you're right. Uh, yes, yes Bing, Bing Madsen. Bing Madsen is how I will forever know him as. What is that from? Bing Madsen is the main character. Of the Black Mirror episode, fifteen million merits. He is the main character. That is the best episode of Black Mirror. That is probably the the best hour and a half of television ever. I love. That's before Black Mirror went to Netflix. That was back when it was on the BBC One. No, two. I think it was on BBC Two. Um, 
If you've never seen Black Mirror, don't watch all of it. Netflix has ruined it. Netflix has stuck uh, a giant skewer into Charlie Brooker that has killed him. Uh, they've ruined it. But if you watch the Netflix when it was on BBC, the episode 15 Million Merits, Daniel Kaluuya is the main character. It is one of the greatest things you will ever see. All right. With that being said, um, she's, she's he's Emily Blunt's partner. And they're being uh, – they're after this whole uh, raid in – Arizona goes uh, south, not south, but kind of, it kind of blows up on them, <laughs> and and so they're sitting like in right Josh here, Brolin. I should, I should just have the clip of an explosion of that of the little house exploding. That's so, good. That's a good one. <laughs> and so Josh Brolin's talking to a bunch of her superiors, including Victor Garber, who's in this in a very, very limited role, but he's, oh, you're he's well. Oh, in my thunder. <laughs> yeah. So you have him, and obviously Josh Brolin's looking for not recruits, but it's expl- I don't want to give it away because it's a plot point toward the end, but he's looking for someone to, uh, oh, God, what would be the correct term? Not interface with, but kind of like someone to do a dual investigation mm-hmm. into this whole cartel. And she's given the thing of what you're doing, really. I think about the cartels are doing all this nonsense. Nothing that you do is going to stop this. But if you so, come join. So the thing that you don't want to give away is really the uh, the reason why she's there. Yeah, I don't want to okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to give that away. Why she's uh, there? Oh, that part, <laughs> I, 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 I'm fine with that. If you don't want to give that away, that is one of my bullet points. I will just say that part of the movie, like, like really threw me for a loop. Like, it didn't blow me away. I wasn't like, what? I wasn't like, oh my god, plot twist. I was like, holy shit. Like, just very calmly, I was like, I didn't expect that. Like, that's a really low key kind of twist. I'm not even. I don't even know if I well, want to call it a twist. It's well. Once you've rewatched the movie a few times, um, it's it's obvious. Like you can literally spoil most of this movie in three words. Uh, for for okay, I'm gonna ble- we're gonna bleep it out, but I'm gonna say it to Rob. Nice. The entire movie is their yes, every, every, yes. Every- that is in my commentary. Literally after that scene where they like tell her why she's there, I'm like, oh, so. And Daniel Kaluuya is very firmly aware of this. From the offset, like he's like he tells her, like even from the moment they show up onto the the military base, and he's dropping her off, and they tell yeah. him you're not you got, he got, you're not welcome or not that he's not welcome here, but you're not allowed here. And he's she's like, on so-? the list, but you're not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like he goes, "What do you want me to do? Leave her off here?" And she just kind of says, "I'll get out here. I'll be fine." So and I think, and this ties into even like I know Rob brought up the whole thing with her smoking, her not uh, being able to light a cigarette properly. But like that's a thing with because you think about it, when the movie first starts off, it's like there's no mention of the fact that she's quit smoking. Like we just see like at first, like every once in a while, she like ask someone to like bum a cigarette, and then mm-hmm. like as time goes on, you'll see her with like a pack of cigarettes, and like she'll smoke one and just kind of like walk away from it. Like I said, I, I don't think she has a problem lighting the cigarette, but she never finishes one. It's just and, yeah. There's it's really one scene, like the first scene where she tries to get a cigarette, and then like the she's on the military base or whatever, and the the other military grunt shows her like she looks at Juarez through the binoculars. Yeah, like that scene, the first scene with a cigarette. It, I don't think that thing ever gets lit. Like I think she's literally walking with an unlit cigarette in her mouth well, for part of the scene. I, I think that's what he's trying to do, though, Denis Villeneuve. Is it like it's her slowly? 
Oh god, not lower. It's also her. Oh god, her lowering her not her standards, but her her moral again her I guess her moral standards. And at the same time, she's also slowly entering this world that that Josh Brolin and Benicio del Toro. Maybe more Josh Brolin than Benicio. Benicio del Toro is just like yeah. Josh, I'm thinking like he he's an independent player. Like he's moving with other figures, but he's really working towards his own goals. Is that where you're getting it? Well, yeah, but like, I'm trying okay. to think of a word to describe, like a noun to describe what he is. It's mm. Josh Brolin, like I said, Benicio del Toro only uses like it's made as a, a point in the film that he's all he has again. He's just, like you said, he's independent in the grand scheme of things. He just works in, with people that are in the same going in the same direction as he is. Yes, until they no longer serve his purpose, he just walks away. And that's why again he is this mysterious figure because nobody knows. And again, Benicio del Toro plays this uh, roll up to the tens. And yeah. but anyway, but getting back to the cigarette scene, like yes, the first scene is her going up to the guy saying, "Can I have a cigarette?" And like Rob said, I'm pretty sure it's not lit. Mm-hmm. And then you have that. And the very next time she wants a cigarette, she's she's um, oh god, what do you call it? It's the the, the roundup of all the illegal illegals. And she asks another guy there, and she takes literally like because the guy's like, "Don't smoke that near them." She takes like two drags and then flicks it away. And then there's a couple more scenes. I think she's in the bar. She's yep. doing all these other things, and then if you look at it, by the very end of the movie, she ha- it's very noticeable because she's sitting at a table with Benicio del Toro in her apartment, and she has a pack of cigarettes with the lighter, mm-hmm. showing that before she was very reluctant to smoke, and as the course of the movie goes on, she takes a drag or two, she smokes a cigarette, and by the end of the movie, she is a full-on smoker. <laughs> and obviously, what Benicio del Toro does to her at the very end of the movie again, without giving anything away, that shows that she is firmly ingratiated in this world from now on. She doesn't want to be in here, yes. but she is in it. Yep. And she's even in, Benicio... She's in, she's in this world, but she's not in the sequel. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, Emily, <laughs> Emily, we'll get into, I, I have opinions on Emily Blunt as an actress. Um, I, 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 I don't want to say she's miscast for this, but like I know why, because she's a very talented actress, but I don't think... This is the kind of movie that you should have Emily Blunt in. Emily Blunt never like she seems overwhelmed, but yeah. I feel like she's she's acting overwhelmed. But I never believe she's like she's too broad shoulder. I don't say broad shoulder, but like she seems a little too confident for what she's involved with. Like not saying you need like a scrawny woman who's like, like you don't you don't need that, but she seems a little too sure of herself. Like because like, when you think of Emily Blunt, I don't think of someone who's like cowering. Or someone who's like unsure of herself, okay. like because it's funny. I, a couple of days ago, I watched a Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation, and in that film is an actress called Rebecca Ferguson who really never did anything. I don't think she's done much after. Is that Tom, Mission... Tom Cruise's wife in those movies? No, no, that's that's Michelle Monaghan. Oh God, I haven't seen any of them, so I'm sh- shooting in the dark. <laughs> okay, I, Re- I don't Michelle, know who this is. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson was kind of like really her major like thing that she's ever been in was Mission Impossible 5. Oh, was Michelle Monaghan was the true detective wife, right? Yeah, she's, she's okay. also Tom Cruise's wife in the Mission Impossible movies. That they only yeah. mentioned in, like, one one and a half movies. Okay. So, like, I, but, like, someone like Rebecca Ferguson, for those who who, who have seen her in other things, like, I think, cause I think she worked better in this because she can play strong, but at the same time, like, could play that, like, I don't know, I, like, I, I, I'm overwhelmed by the situation. Like, I feel like if Emily Blunt is like out of like ten out of ten ways being overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. She's nine out of ten, but there's still like that one tenth out there where it's like eh, there's something off here. I don't conti- I don't entirely believe that you're 
that you feel lost in all this. And there are certain parts okay. where you can really do feel her just like I, – I, I know there's one point in the movie and Rob will insert the clip here like during Juarez when uh, everything does eventually hit the fan where I think she has the line, what the F are we doing here? What the fuck are we doing? And it's like – and that's like the moment where you really kind of feel the enormity of the situation where it's like what like, – like, you think about like what like, – it's like in action movie terms. Like if you're watching this exact same sequence in John Wick, you'd be like, oh, neat. I can't yeah. wait for John Wick to shoot somebody in the face again. But like, <laughs> considering this is a very grounded movie, there's no surrealism here. Um, this might be the most down-to-earth, grounded movie we've ever discussed so far on the podcast. I don't know. Fantastic Planet. <laughs> uh, I was going to say Batman versus Superman. I think that's the most grounded movie. I don't know. Um, you want to talk uh, about grounded? <laughs> green spears that can murder uh, men that can fly. Yeah, let's get uh, uh, let's get Endless back in here where he's building a staircase. That was grounded. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, but, uh, uh, no, I'm really glad you bring up this point, Zach. Uh, well, a lot of the points you brought up. Um, but I want to focus on that last one. Uh, I, I did somewhat agree with you on a previous point of Emily Blunt not being the right person to cast. Uh, just, I guess, to give you my opinion, uh, I'm not a big fan of Emily Blunt overall. I thought maybe like a, like a Liv Tyler in this role would have been not so bad. Um Something like that. But, you know, over at the end of the day, I don't think I have a lot of problems with Emily Blunt. Um, the thing I want to point out, though, is you mentioned that Emily Blunt has the line where when they're in Juarez kind of trying to cross the border back in the United States with their extraction Jackson guy. They're like or she says, what the fuck are we doing here? Because they're basically like, we think there's a gun in that car. Let's swarm that car. Like that dude has neck tattoos. He's a cartel member, basically. Um I didn't pick up on it there. I, d- I honestly did not pick up on the kind of the fish out of water situation that this movie is presenting. I picked up on it after that scene. After the the American, you know, the people working for uh, Del-, Del Toro and Josh Brolin, they basically shoot up two cars of people's, people with neck tattoos solely because they have neck tattoos. And then they get back to the base in, like, El Paso or whatever, and Emily Blunt gets out of the car and goes, what we just did is illegal. Yeah, a little nutty, huh? Nutty, yeah. Yeah, that was fucking illegal. You want to start a war? So she has that line. Do you remember that line in this movie? Yeah. So here's the thing, Zach. I have become so okay with blatant cold-blooded murder in movies that her saying what we did was illegal was the eye-opener for me. Them actually murdering the people wasn't the eye-opener. I was actually like, I had to take a step back from the movie when one of our characters was like, what we just did was illegal. We can't kill people. I was like, she's right. They can't kill people. So well, I think I don't even think I, I don't even think that line. I think that line is a uh, multi-layered. I think that's one layer of it is killing people. Oh, but I oh. think on top of it, it's the whole idea of like you have four, you have uh, domestic operatives, U.S. operatives, yes. going into another country, yep. having some sort of extraction. That's probably extraction like, Jackson. Yes, yeah, extraction Jackson, and it, they're they're pulling somebody out, and you have this whole thing where. Again, she has. They make it. That's one thing that's uh, hit upon very repeatedly in this film is that en- unless they are from like the military base, consider them an enemy. It's like the, mm-hmm. the the Mexican federales 
are just as corrupt as the guys with the neck tattoos. Yep, watch Chances out for the state are, police. They're not always your friend. Yes. And so you have that. So it's not bad enough that you're going, you're, you're killing people. It's the fact that as you're going into a choke point of a border border entry, you have this all happen. You're having uh, – because it's still Mexican soil. I think that's the thing she has a problem oh, yeah. with. You're still on yeah. Mexican soil and you're doing this. You're going into a, a, a sovereign country, uh, extracting someone without probably permission of the Mexican government, and then doing all this stuff, then killing people on another country's soil and just tearing out of there. And there's really nothing. There's no reports filed. There's there's nothing. And I think I think that I think that's what disturbs her on the ultimate level is that there are so many layers of rules being broken. Pretty much every rule is being broken, and yeah, she has yeah. no idea what the end game is as to why all these rules are broken. Because again, that's a major theme of this film too. Her and Daniel Kaluuya are like, what, like, stop keeping us in the dark. And eventually, they do tell. They just tell him this is what we're doing. And eventually, all of her uh, Emily Blunt's higher ups tell him it's like, he, it's like, what are they doing? Josh Brolin and Benicio del Toro, and we're just told very uh, matter of factly they're they're there to stir the pot. They yeah. are there to just rile rile everybody up and just wait for the for the pieces to fall down, and and that's essentially what it is. And it, it's oh, funny, yeah, it's, yeah. Considering this is a very uh, again a very uh, disorienting film, once you once you think about it, and after you've seen it a couple times, it's rather simplistic. There's uh, there's not as many twists and turns. It still has a lot of tension. Even, even as I was watching the Juarez scene now for the third time, you can just feel the the, the the tension being dialed up every single time. But again, like Emily Blunt, though, again, I, I the problem with Emily Blunt is ever since she's been cast as uh, Mary Poppins, I just can't take her seriously. <laughs> it's like it's it's like I can't take anybody seriously because again, Emily Blunt can act, but and plus I don't like. I've seen interviews with her. She's very uh, she's not very likable. Oh, and, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, throwing shade at Emily yeah, Blunt. <laughs> I said, and, and so it's like it's hard to look at her. Like she's like she doesn't like she does a good job. She does a good job here. Plus, it'd be hard. Like you said, what Liv Tyler? Yeah, yeah, that was. What I, I don't thought. think like Emily Blunt is at. It's this weird sort of a uh, Emily Blunt is competent, yet I don't think she has the physical appearance. Too, like I yeah, said, she's she, too she, skinny. She is yeah. way too skinny. No, no, no. I think that's the problem, though. Is that she looks a little too lean and mean yeah. to be overwhelmed by by Benicio oh. Del Toro. Oh, you, think, like, I, you think lean and mean? I don't like, think... I think lean and timid. That's what no, I got. No, because I think cause she comes across... Like, I think about it. She, cause she's in, in the very beginning of the film, she's shot at. And she takes the guy down. Like, and, yeah. It's like, she doesn't... For someone who almost had their head blown off, and never mind the, the blowing up of the, the shed, like, she doesn't seem too overwhelmed. Like, that she seems perfectly all right with. She's like, mm-hmm. oh, someone just blew up a shed. It's like that's bad. Like we see her like in the shower. She's like, I don't know. I don't know she's stitching up her her. Uh, she has like a cut on her head. Yeah, yeah. yeah and FBI so, agents don't get hospital treatment. Apparently, they have to treat their own head wounds after an explosion. <laughs> but like that's what okay, that's what I mean. But it's like she seems too like well put together. So like that happens to her, and she's more like she's disturbed by it. But she, at the end of the day, she's fine. But, like, the more and more that Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro just keep pushing her, she seems to be, like, by the end of the movie, she's practically lost her mind. And I think, and the problem is that I think, again, not to get into the end of the movie, though, when she makes a very specific choice at the end of the film not to do something on top of the pack of cigarettes, which symbolizes the uh, ultimate destruction of her, not morality, but just her reluctance to accept, or I guess her acceptance of corruption, 
it's it's the whole idea of that. I think she's realized either she's gone, she's not crazy. She's fully in this world now. Yeah, and okay. he has the line. Who goes move to a small town where law and order still exist, and and that's where like, I'm trying to think of an actress that can play both. Oh, what's the word? Competent yet would be distraught over something like this. Like it's mm-hmm. a really weird balancing act. It is. Like, okay, like it I really said, is. you need to find an actress that you. It's not like. I, I would like it's kind of like almost like an alien, like the first alien Sigourney Rip, uh, Sigourney Sigourney Ripley, Sigourney <laughs> Weaver, where like you can like they at first they seem really timid, but like when the situation calls for it, they can stand up for it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a weird sort of like inverse of that. Like at the beginning of the movie, she's fine with like all these things happening to her, and then as things just continually escal- escalate, and yeah. it's worth noting. That like all these things happen, and Emily Blunt has like not a meltdown over it, but slowly starts to come apart at the seams. Benicio del Toro and Josh Brolin are just having the time of their life. Like maybe not Benicio del Toro, but Josh Brolin, like the whole time, all he's doing is chewing gum. Like he is, <laughs> he he is very his character. We haven't brought up him a lot, brought him up a lot yet, but like his character is in, in, in as an actor are very aware of the world they're in and their role in it. Like, oh, we, like yeah. he's, we're introduced oh, to him yeah. by looking at his his sandals in like an FBI like a uh, conference room. Yep, and like, he asks Emily Blunt if she's married, if she has children. <laughs> exactly, he knows what he's getting, and that's why I think that again, like I, said, I might not even be picking up on how savvy this film is because Josh Brolin is picking her solely for her attributes, mm-hmm. the fact that she is strong, she'll get the job done, but she can be unnerved very easily by these things and won't pursue them fully. Until she's entirely engrossed and corrupted yes, by it yes. all. I don't want to. So, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I, I don't want to miss a point that I have before we move past it because we mentioned it already. Um, the whole, just the idea that before we get into Brolin and Del Toro, which we have to get into because there's such a huge part of this movie, Emily Blunt and her character, whether or not we think she is right for the role, just the role. When I actually realized what this movie was going for, I was really intrigued. We've mentioned it before, but let me bring it together. The perspective of this movie is really from a, I'm doing quotes, by-the-book FBI agent towards mercenaries she is tasked to work with. And that's really interesting. Would you, would you agree with that, I would say, Zach? Would you agree that's, that's somewhat of a, an apt description of this? Uh, I would less to say. I wouldn't say mercenaries. I would say mm. people who have. Because I don't think they're hired. Well, Benicio del Toro maybe is that, but it's people who are ends. Ju- they're very uh, Machiavellian. It's Opportunistic. Like ends, ends uh, Machiavellian. Yes. It's okay. ends justify the means. It's called. We, our job is to uh, ruffle the feathers of the cartels and to uh, basically cut the. I think the line of dialogue is cut the ch- the head off the chicken. Yeah and, yeah, and and I think that's the goal. And nothing sh- again, anything short of accomplishing that cannot be tolerated. Yes, and, and I, that's I find it Im- immensely interesting that this movie really gives us everything from the perspective of Emily Blunt, the the like I said by the book FBI agent. And these other types of people who are ruffling feathers, who are breaking rules, who are doing things that this character had never thought to do or could be done. Now, this is why I think it's interesting. This is not anything new. We've had tons of movies with this kind of perspective before. Um, But really, kind of in this day and age, I would have expected a movie that is just like, let's assemble the crack team who's going to kick ass and get the mission done. I was actually 
when I understood what this movie was going for, I really enjoyed that fact that they they gave us that conflict. This goes back to the point I said earlier that I am just I am so desensitized to cold-blooded murder in movies that I had no problem with like the shootout at the border patrol thing. Same thing here. I am so just ready to accept that every one of our characters is ready to kill and and satisfy the goal that I'm kind of blown away when we get a, we get Emily Blunt as a main fixture of the plot who is uh, not just uncertain of of uh, what they're doing, but of uncertain of her own role in it. And that's really, really cool to me. I really like that aspect of this movie. And that's one of the things that grew on me, like I said, in the kind of days since I've watched it. I've thought about that perspective more, that juxtaposition, and I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, like I said, that's interesting you bring that point up because I think that's my biggest concern. With, like, that was That's when I heard about the sequel because Emily Blunt is our entry point into this world. Mm-hmm. We, much like her walking into this world that Josh Brolin op- operates in along with Benicio Del Toro. She's so a surrogate. Away. She is the audience surrogate without a fucking doubt as far as yes. I'm concerned. And, I, and that's what made the sequel's announcement so weird to me. Because I don't know how you make a film. Because like you think about it, you, you wouldn't want to live in the world unless you really are that type of a level of sociopath that that Josh Brolin and Benicio del Toro are for mm-hmm. a reason. You wouldn't want it like you wouldn't want to see that movie because it's just basically I don't want to say it's the Dirty Dozen, but like it's just people being tasked with just again causing havoc solely for waiting for someone to make mistakes so they can strike. And so you, it, even though that's that's an interesting movie, but I think at the end of the day, that is a John Wick level premise. Exactly. Not to take anything away from John Wick. John Wick's a very well made series. I love that series. Yeah. But it's not John Wick's not trying to be very heady. Where this is, and he so killed I someone with a pencil. I know he did. <laughs> I don't know how you make this because I've heard a, I, I heard a quote from Josh Brolin about the sequel where he said, "If Sicario One is a comedy." This is like the Schindler's List compared oh to that. Like, like, oh I'm paraphrasing. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm paraphrasing. He didn't say Schindler's List, but he said something like, "If if the first one's a comedy, this is like a, like a funeral in comparison." This is it's like war in comparison. Well, that's well, that's kind of like I think he might have even said that, considering the fact that Josh Brolin's in all these dumb movies exactly. now. This is a this is a Thanos pre prequel, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's a Deadpool no. two prequel. Rob does uh, not actually believe that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like that's why I mean, it's like I don't know. Like again, have you seen the trailer for Sicario too? Uh, no, I have not seen the trailer. I've just read the the one sentence synopsis that is about uh, Benicio del Toro's character. I have some things about specific scenes. I have some things about specific lines that I would like to talk about, uh, and then of course I want to talk about the sequel. But I think we should start with one of my biggest questions for Zach. Really about this movie. What's what's the point of Silvio, the Mexican cop? So for, for our audience, for anyone who hasn't seen this, for Zach, if he has, you know, uh, been, <laughs> been smoking the reefer and forgot what movie we're talking about, uh, at the very near the start of this movie, we get a scene uh, where a Mexican man is uh, woken by his son. His son wants to go to his soccer match. He basically shows a family life, and we are revealed very early on that this man is a Mexican cop. And we get a sprinkling of scenes with him and his family throughout the movie until very much near the end, Benicio Deltaro takes him hostage. 
I, I would say it's hostage. He, he basically forces him to take him to um, the big bad guy whose name I can't remember. Faluno Anscar. That's it, does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, Faluno, Faluno Anscar. Perfect. <laughs> so, so, Zach, my question for you is, what's the point of this? This character dies, spoiler alert, Benicio Del Toro shoots him. Uh, the only thing I can think of is that, you know, one, they're showing us this from the very beginning to explain to the audience that the if the negative effects of the cartel don't just reach the American side of the border. They also affect the Mexican side, which which I buy. The other thing I can think of is that they wanted us to feel more tension in the scene with Benicio uh, and when he takes that that cop hostage. What are your thoughts, Zach? Why why do we have this? Why is this necessary? Why is it necessary to establish this cop has a son, has a wife, is trying to better himself, has his son plays soccer, the the father likes breakfast in bed. Why do we need this? <laughs> but does it have jalapenos? Does it? You don't remember that line of dialogue where it's No, like, I like don't. Wakes, I'm upset. The son I, wakes I up, it's like Papa, I have breakfast. I, I, eggs and coffee. And he's like, Does it have jalapenos? See. Si. And it's like, and he jumps out of bed for it. Huevos. Jalapeno. Por supuesto. Thank God. Uh, Thank God. It, thank okay, God. so let me tell you, just, just across the board, I'm speaking for Zach as well. If your food doesn't make you feel pain, you're not doing it right. <laughs> I can get behind that. <laughs> so, yeah, Zach, why? What is the point of the jalapenos, of the soccer, of the cop, of well, the Silvio? I think when you brought up your two points, I think uh, the first one's part of it, but not as much. I think we, I think it's established very early on with the the uh, lives of the Mexicans and how it affects them with the people that are strung up from the overpass. Yeah, and that's but the I, end of the movie too. The big ending scene is that you know they didn't stop anything. There's still gunfire and, and violence. And, well, that's and that's that's the whole thing though. Is that that is a theme of this movie too, which is part of the the uh, demoralization of Emily Blunt, but to keep it back to Silvio, is that this is a vicious cycle that's just never going to end. Because, as Rob mentioned, the Silvio is, uh, scenes with Silvio and his son, who loves soccer, are punctuated throughout the film. And the whole point of that, I think, is that Silvio is meant to show that he's just a cog in this. Much like how Josh Brolin and Emily Blunt and BCL Del Toro are cogs. Mm-hmm. Silvio is the is the other side of the tracks. He's the he's their counterpoint to all this. And mm. it's shown numerous times, like when he's eating breakfast with his son, his son goes over to lean over and touch his gun. It's worth noting that it is a it's an yep. automatic rifle. It's not a pistol. It is a uh, it's a weapon for uh, to cause a lot of damage. He says, "Don't oh, ever touch that." So I do want to just say that that gun is beautiful. I'm like, I, I'm not a gun freak or anything. I'm not against guns. I've shot guns. I, I respect any technology man has invented. Uh, the stylization of, of his weapon in this movie, I really, really liked. Like, they put the right amount of wear on it. The, the whole thing of the kid not it? touching it. Oh, the gun, Sylvia's, Silvio's gun. Sylvia's yeah, I really think that, you know, that, that one little scene stood out to me for how, how well done the gun in that scene looked. It wasn't just like, oh, here's a gun, done. It actually felt like something that he had has had with him and used with him. And he would be like, no, I've seen what this thing can do. 
Because there's a big difference. There's a big difference between knowing what guns can do and knowing what a gun can do. And I won't get into the whole, we don't have to talk about gun politics and, and what guns mean to people, but I, that really stood out to me. That scene that you're mentioning where he's like, don't touch that, never touch that, that type of stuff. I th- actually, I think that's part of it too. It's the idea of trying to keep the new generation removed from this po- process as much as possible. It's like, again, he's trying to shield saying, don't ever, again, I don't want, by touching that gun, you are opening yourself, you're opening a portal into this world, the world of Josh Brolin, the cartels, all this. Zach, are you, do you have like a camera or a microphone in my apartment that you're reading my thoughts with and shit like this? I I think I have both of those. I have a camera (laughs) and a microphone. I can see into the apartment. So, I mean, I mean, when we're not recording. I mean, you know, when I'm sitting here naked in my apartment, do you get to see that? (laughs) No, I look away during those parts. Because here's the thing. The two points I mentioned previously of why Sylvia was in this movie, those were like my my real points. But I have one more. I had one more that I was going to throw at you that I think you already kind of got at and that we kind of got at with that gun scene. Here's my question for you. Did they include Silvio and his son... So that the kid can seek revenge in the sequel. Oh, no. No? No, you don't think so? No, Silvio's thing with his son is the whole point of that, A, it's supposed to be him. It's it's like Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt Blunt is just as naive and innocent at the beginning of this film as Silvio's son is. Completely removed from the world that Josh Brolin lives in. And and by the problem is that by the by the thing is that though is that Silvio is trying to make a better life for his wife and child. And the only way you think about it, in Mexico, you probably don't make a lot. Obviously, you don't make nowhere near as much money as it takes probably to uh, support a family. So he's probably, again, the movie doesn't lay this out. This is me inferring. Mm-hmm. He's probably doing this to make more money. So his son does, think about it. They live in a relatively nice house. They have, they have a decent kitchen. They have all, they, they seem to have a nice, nice living. The yeah, wife they got all the, all the utilities, all the amenities. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think that's being done to uh, supplement his income as a police officer and the problem is, though, is that much like the choices of other characters, Silvio's openness, even though he's not letting his son touch the door, his way of keeping his son out of this world is at the same time opening a door for his son to enter it eventually. And then going through, the, and yes, I think okay. Rob is correct at the point, too, that uh, the point with Silvio and his son is supposed to, is supposed to add dramatic uh, stakes to the very end with Benicio Del Toro in the car. Yeah, it's it makes much, us more invested in that yes. scene. But the thing at the end, because uh, obviously we see the fact that his son asked him earlier, are we going to play soccer today or this? And he goes, no, I have to work tonight. And the scene ends there. And we yeah. don't see Silvio again, really, until he's trying to uh, unload all the uh, kilos of, I guess it's marijuana. And he's trying to sit there, get rid of all that. And then no, Benicio Del Toro shows up. No, it's it's got to be heroin. Is it heroin? I don't, know. I don't think whatever. it's marijuana. Whatever, whatever. Who, who would... Who would move marijuana across the border when you could just you can drive it from a leak, from a medical state? I I, I know, but I mean, cartels <laughs> make money, money, money. Uh, what do you, what do you think? What do you think? The day Colorado legalized pot, the cartels said, "Well, they beat us at our own game. Time to burn down all the marijuana." Farms. Well, no, but I know the fucking day Michigan legalized medical marijuana, Pennsylvania became a fucking huge recipient to that so i know but still i I would imagine the cartel is probably whatever it's 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 ambiguous so once again uh, contrary to what zach thinks 
me, Rob, is not well ingrained in the cartel universe. <laughs> I'll, let's put it this way. I will defer judgment to the drug fiend amongst the two of us. <laughs> so there you go. See, I, I will defer to your better judgment. Um, as ignorant as you claim to be on this, um, I think I beat you in that category. I think it's her- it's got to be heroin or coke. Like, whatever. Whatever it is. It's, it's drugs. Um, not, whatever you want it to be. It yes, is. generic drug A. <laughs> yes, in Zachary World, that's copies of the Star Wars holiday special they're trying to smuggle across the border. That's what it is in Zachary World. Exactly, that's what it needs to be. Uh, I think, in obviously, the thing at the very end of the film with with uh, his his son and his mother, they obviously the mother is taking him to the soccer game by her lonesome, and while all the kids are playing soccer, the soccer game is interrupted by these shots of gunfire. Which I think, think equal revenge no, inducing. No, 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 not at all. That's I think that would cheap. That if they did, do, if they did that, they would cheapen the movie. Um, but no, the thing with the gunshots at the end is it's meant to show at the cycles. Except think about it. Benicio del Toro. Uh, spoiler alert: kills the uh, cartel kingpin, and yet the cycle just will keep going on and on, much yeah, like Baluno, how Josh Baluno Vascar, I think I said his name was whatever. <laughs> uh, and much like Josh Brolin says to Emily Blunt at the end of the film, until twenty percent of the country gets it out of their head that they don't need this crap, the cycle will go on and on, and all we can do is hope to regulate it. And that's and that's and that's what it is. Yep. And the yep. cycle will continue to go on and on. There will be people on both sides fighting this war. Yet at the end of the day, it will end in a stalemate unless something very major happens. Yes. And, and you know, I don't even need to get into it. I agree with you, Zach. I could go on for a whole episode about my opinion on drugs, different drugs, legalities of them. But I agree that that's what the movie's going for. That it isn't just a problem of our governments versus a cartel. The people, the humans, are a big deal of it. You know, this wouldn't exist if there wasn't a demand for it. Exactly. And I think that goes down to even the whole thing with Emily Blunt. I think it's worth noting that Emily Blunt is our main character, yet we do not end the film with her character. It's, it's her, she has the second to last scene in the movie, but she, and I think that's the whole thing. Emily Blunt, think about our, our two most innocent characters in the film, Emily Blunt and Silvio Sun, both, and I, I, obviously Emily Blunt's uh, a descent into this world is rather clear, yet Silvio's is much more uh, alluded to at the fact that he, obviously his 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 game of soccer, i.e. his life, is interrupt, interrupted by the sound of gunshots, obviously from some sort of drug feud or just basic violence. Mm-hmm. And 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 Silvio's father was trying to dig, trying to uh, remove his family from this uh, conflict, but at the same time, because of his effort to try to push them away from it tied them directly toward it because obviously now they're a single it's a single mother and her child he will most silvio's son okay, i don't want to declare silvio's son to work for the drug kingpins but <laughs> chances are that's how you would probably earn money to support a decent living in the yes. world that we're presented to in sicaria yeah you know oh man i feel like i with what you just said zach i feel like i missed a huge opportunity i should have gone back through all fucking 70 years of Law and Order's VU, and found an episode that I thought was Silvio's son and Silvio's wife coming to America, and tied it to this. Damn. Damn. Are, That'll are, be are a cinematic update. <laughs> was Was Victor Garber in Law and Order? Oh, yeah. A few. Okay, so, so, there's, so there's our Law and Order tie-in. Well, of, of course. I mean... You know, we got a few Law & Order tie-ins, if you want to talk about that. <laughs> no, no. So, so Zach, um, 
I think we, we, we talked a lot about this movie as a whole, and I really like that because this, this is a movie, as we started with this, this is something that is really different for us, maybe for Cinemodities, but guaranteed for the things we've done in the last few weeks. You know what? Sophia the First, Claws, uh, Dinosaurs. Like, that's just nonsense. And this is a movie we both really enjoyed. We both really were able to think about. It, it instigated feelings in both of us. And I like that we talked about it as a whole. I think I, I think I think this is the first objectively good movie we've talked about since Fantastic Planet. <laughs> okay, I was about to say Fantastic Planet. Uh, I would say this is the the most objectively good movie we've talked about since Frank Ocean's Endless. <laughs> That's not a movie, though. <laughs> That's true. That's a visual album. Uh, you got me there. <laughs> I'm it's breaking worth my own that we're what sixteen episodes into this, and this is our. Uh, first like legitimately good piece of uh filmmaking well i don't know we did total recall we both love total recall yeah but that was like again that's very tongue-in-cheek like like yeah total recall is great gremlins 2 is great but those have both become somewhat we talked about this in our episodes but of a i'm doing quotes a cult classic Yes. Where we're doing it more because it has a certain following and a reputation rather than hey sicario is three years ago that type of thing Yes, and Sicario okay. is not is is by no means wink wink nudge nudge. No, no, not at all. Okay, well, Zach, if if you don't have anything else overarching for this movie, I think I'm ready to get into some scenes that I want to talk about. Uh, what do you think? Sure. Okay. Okay. Well, when do we get I'm to snack go- time? Snack is at the end. Oh. Yeah, snack is at the end. What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> I really so, want some eggs with some jalapenos. Here we go. Uh, so I'm going to go in order. With this movie. And this is going to give us a chance to break down some more plot points, I think. Um, The first thing I want to say is this is becoming a theme for me and the, oh God, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Denis Villeneuve? Denis Villeneuve. Denis, Denis Villeneuve. Okay, I'll have to like cut Zach saying it over me saying it in the edit in the final episode. Um, He, I really, really love and appreciate his use of wide either overhead or landscape shots. Specifically in Sicario, when our characters are transferring from Mexico or the United States and going between the two, we get some great, huge aerial shots of Mexico, of Juarez, of El Paso. Um, In Arrival, we get tons of these shots as well. They're obscured by a giant CGI alien spaceship, of course. Enemy we get huge shots of the city that Jake Gyllenhaal lives in. Of course, an enemy, every one of those is plagued by spiders. But man, Denis Villeneuve, he knows how to use those aerial shots. They are beautiful. Specifically in this movie, did those jump out at you? Like when we go to Juarez, when we go to Mexico, we get that music just pumping, like that you know deep bass and a huge shot of a helicopter, you know, just flying through a valley. Man, that is beautiful stuff. Obviously, I picked up on that. I didn't. I really didn't pick up on it until my third viewing. I, I guess it, I, he does that in Blade Runner too. But okay. I, at the time, okay. I just figured that was just like there's a lot of that in the first Blade Runner, so I didn't attribute it to him. Oh. But it, no, like I said, I, I I appreciate that for what it is. Um, I didn't really pick up on any sort of meaning to it beyond just showing the kind of like the expanse of just what's about to happen, the broad canvas at play here or the background. 
Um, yeah, like I said, because I know there's a shot, like, when, like again, Rob mentioned it, Juarez, and there's when they're flying to El Paso, you see it when they're on the plane. Yep. But yeah, like I said, like, I, I don't have anything particularly interesting to say about that. Again, it's, it's well-done filmmaking. Oh, it's but, beautiful. It is beautiful. I mean, you know, uh, when, I, when I watch any movie... I'm always looking at the cinematography and how they frame their shots, even though I don't think we talk about it a lot. I, I really care about that artistic representation of what they're trying to show us. And there is something that I just absolutely love about those wide-angle, expansive nature shots. Like, you know, that's what a movie should be. Show me something I can't just go outside and see, right? Like, that's, that's what that escapism should be. Take me to the location this movie is existing in. And that's the one thing I will say. You know, Denis Villeneuve, with movies I've loved and hated from him, or maybe loved and not loved, he has a great taste for that stuff. I love it. And on that same vein, during the scenes in Sicario, now here I'm talking specifically to Sicario, uh, the music is done by Johan Johansson. Zach, Zach, you ever heard of Johan Johansson? <laughs> I've never heard of Johan Johansson before. Okay, Johan Johansson is an Icelandic composer. Uh, I don't know, I, I think every time I talk to Zach about music, he just kind of glazes over and thinks about what he has to do after he's going to talk to me. <laughs> so uh, I am a huge fan of Icelandic music. I love Johan Johansson, I've loved him for years. Uh, I love, I have to look up the pronunciation of her name, Hildur Guanadotir, absolutely fantastic. Sigur Ross, of course. Sigur Ross, we've never talked about on this podcast. Sigur Ross is one of the greatest bands of all time. Sigur Ross, uh, the only way I can imagine Zach will ever have any idea who I'm talking about Sigur Ross did the music for The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Oh, okay. Okay, Zach's seen that movie, but I don't even know if he had noticed the music. Um, if you've never heard of Sigur Ross, check out the album Agatis Brungen. <laughs> check out the album Valkyrie. They are beautiful. Uh, I cannot stress enough, Sigur Ross is one of my top three favorite bands of all time. And honestly... Johan Johansson does the music for the first Sicario. Hildur Guanadotir, the other Icelandic composer I mentioned, is doing the music for the second Sicario. So when we eventually get a third Sicario, it better be produced, the music better be produced by Sigur Ross. Probably my favorite line in the movie. That's where I want to go next. Uh, when they get to Juarez, or I don't even think it's when they get to Juarez, when they get to the, the rendezvous with the person who's taking them through Juarez, uh, the person is played by Jeffrey Donovan. He's Burn Notice. You ever see Burn Notice on the USA Network, Zach? I know of it. Yeah, so, so the guy who is like, the, they meet up, the guy who says, I got a boner. Like, he wears uh, horn rim glasses. That's Jeffrey Donovan. That's Burn Notice. Uh, when we first see him... We get the sense that he is very good friends with Josh Brolin. Like, you know, uh, Jeffrey Donovan's in the driver's seat. Josh Brolin's in the passenger seat. Uh, we get the whole scene from the perspective of Emily Blunt and, from the back seat. Um, but they start talking about nonsense. And Josh Brolin has the line that basically says, Did you hear about that conspiracy to sink Fiji? 
And Jeffrey Donovan says, Come on, terrorists, leave Fiji alone. <laughs> trying to get DOD to let me look into this conspiracy to sink Fiji. Fiji? Yeah. Leave Fiji alone, terrorists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you pick up on this, Zach? I didn't pick up on his response to it, but I know what Josh Brolin This says, is the but... funniest. This, that, that is the funniest. That's my favorite line in the whole movie, where one of them is like, Did you hear about that conspiracy to sink Fiji? Come on, terrorists, leave Fiji alone. <laughs> Like, I, okay, Rob, Rob, Rob's looking at this and he's, he's pissing himself over it. That's so but, funny. That's sinking a whole island and a famous island. <laughs> I know, but like, okay, like obviously that's meant to be hyperbole, but at the same time, though, it's like, this is what, like, this is kind of like, like the world of Sicario is like, you hear this thing all the time in movies. This comes more from like blockbuster movies. But it's like, like it's like it, it feels like Star Wars. It feels like it lives in its own world. Like I remember when like Pacific Rim came out, people were saying that. I'm like, no, Pacific Rim feels like a very contained like universe. Yeah. And yeah. Yet, when you hear things like this, this is something I could very well believe that in the months prior to the events of Sicario, Josh Brolin was involved in some sort of conflict where terrorists were trying to do something to with on Fiji, the island of Fiji. And like that's something like again, much how like in the before we were recording, I talked to Rob about the movie The Guest and John Wick. Like you'd love to see certain like movies just kind of like, not tie into each other, but like all like, even if they never cross over, just be in the same universe. And yeah. that'd be like like that'd be a fun one. Like what's going on in Fiji? Like that'd be a fun like thing. Like oh. oh. Like it's like something obvious. It's kind of like like oh, Rob probably remembers this, but like they would do things like like the comic book movies where like before the movie would come out, they'd release like like a, like a little like comic book that was like twenty pages and be like, oh look what Spider Man was doing before the events of Spider Man. Yeah, Day yeah. 3. The uh, the um oh fuck, I I know one the one shot prequels. That's what they called them. They were one shot prequels. It was yeah. hey. If you're at your comic book store, get this one issue and you'll get some extra info. They did one for Inception, if you remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, they did a one-shot prequel. I don't think it was one-shot. I think it was a web series. Yeah, it was online. It's a web comic. Yeah. Web comic, yeah. Um, that, that's something I – like, Rob looks like I said, Rob looks at that dialogue and starts giggling at the absurdity of it. But, like, I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, like, obviously, like, I'd want to know what that story was. Do you but, think that's going to be the sequel? We're going to get some Fiji no, action? I looked, it's funny. While you were on your music rant for like a half an hour, or at least felt like, like an hour, <laughs> um, I, read, I read the synopsis for Sicario 2, and I'm kind of depressed now. Um, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. I didn't know what the plot was. Like I said, I watched the trailer for it. Uh, it looked incomprehensible. Um, didn't think much about it. Just read the plot synopsis. Okay, not, uh, plot, okay plot. we'll get to that. We'll get to that. That's going to be its whole segment, its own segment. Um. So yeah, that was I think that was the uh, the first thing I wanted to say. Uh, really, that you know, that was my first big picture impression from this movie. Denis Villeneuve has great control over his aerial shots. I love them. But oh, and the conspiracy conspiracy to think sink Fiji. That's what I said. But really, the next thing I want to bring up, um, almost a minute, maybe a minute or two minutes after the conspiracy to sink Fiji line. Uh, we get more aerial shots of, of, you know, the convoy driving through Juarez to get to their extraction Jackson. I, at that point in my commentary, this is about 30 minutes into the movie, I was like, what the fuck is the point of this? Because usually, you know, I, I might be coming at this biased for all the movies I've had to watch for cinemodities. Uh, 
I was really like, I'm half an hour into this movie. I'm a quarter of the way into this movie, and I don't know what the fuck is going on. Literally, the only message I got from the first 30 minutes of Sicario was Mexico is bad, and I should be afraid of it. I don't think Mexico is bad. Juarez is bad. Well, yes, that that's probably a better, a more apt description of what I should have felt. But the way that the, the movie was presented and the whole line of nothing will make sense to your American ears. I was like, holy fuck, I should never go to Mexico. I, I, I uh, clarified that feeling later on, but I felt that was worthy to point out that that's part of the the disjointness and the the uh, the the disattraction I felt with this movie that, you know, a quarter of the way into it, when the action was hitting the fan, I was like, what are they telling me? What are they going for? And that's part of the reason, like I said before, I really like it. You know, they kept me guessing. Um, very shortly after that, when I had that thought, uh, they revealed that they're doing the good old Distraction Jackson. I mentioned that earlier. I thought they were, t- for some reason, I thought they were just going to Mexico to talk to somebody. And I was in my commentary, I'm like, how do they know this dude's going to be here? Like, are they just going and hoping this dude's going to be here? But then when the, when they revealed it was Extraction Jackson, um, I, I... I think it's worth pointing out that there is no character name. Like, he keeps talking about this Extraction Jackson. Yes, his name is Guillermo, right? <laughs> well, Rob is just making a fake character up off of, of a, a name that's just... Like, I think like, he said it so many times at this point. I think you, people who have not seen this film think this is an actual character. Well, it is. It's a character and a scene. <laughs> No, it's oh my god, no! It's yeah, yeah, so, me, so the Rob first is being action very scene of this right movie now. is them extracting a cartel agent, correct? He's somebody's brother. He's a cartel he's a, kingpin's he's, brother. He's a cartel agent's brother. So they are going to Mexico to extract someone. That person's name is Jackson. No, and it's they not. Are extracting him. No, it's extracting yes, Jackson. the extraction is correct. The Jackson is not. It's extraction. <laughs> no, I mean, yes, no one in this movie is actually called Extraction Jackson, but you can you can keep saying the silly name, but you have to establish you've said it so many not times. Okay, at this point. you have okay, to establish yeah. that it doesn't exist. The yes, okay, I, I'm Zach is right. Zach is right. I should give the context for my definitions. Absolutely. Okay, here no, we go. I think it, Rob's being like Denis Villeneuve. He's trying to overwhelm you like he does to poor Emily Blunt. He's trying to disorient you. He's trying to overwhelm you. If I was directing Emily Blunt, she would have a successfully lit cigarette in her mouth in every scene. I'll tell you that. Okay? (laughs) We're back to this again. Um, No, but okay, here we go. In the scene I'm talking about, which I have a few things to talk about, uh, the, the... the FBI and CIA team of Emily Blunt, Josh Brolin, and Benicio Del Toro, they go down to Juarez to extract the brother of the cartel major player they're targeting. Is that correct? Yes. yes His they, name is they, not Jackson. They Yes, they go down to get... Oh, God. Zach, you're, do, you're making me do what I hate. You're making me, you're making me show off my attention to detail. They go to extract Guillermo Diaz to gain information on where Manuel Diaz will be, who is the main cartel player that they are after, to get called back to his boss, whose name I don't remember, but we're calling uh, Philonar Vasco. I think I've called him three different names at this point. But yes, Guillermo Diaz, 
in my explanation, is Extraction Jackson. At the same time, the act, the scene of our characters going down to Mexico, to Juarez, to extract Extraction Jackson and bring him back to the United States is also Extraction Jackson. It's a verb and a proper noun. Does that clear things up, Zach? Sure. Sure. Okay. <laughs> we, okay. Uh, okay. I feel like we're repeating ourselves. Is there any other any more points that we have not discussed already? Yes, absolutely. In the Extraction Jackson scene, when our characters first realize that they are being followed, we get the wonderful line from Jeffrey Donovan, the burn notice guy, when he sees the car tracking them, he goes, I'm getting a boner. I'm getting a boner. This, this is a point worth having, isn't this, it? This is, okay, this is a point worth having. <laughs> this is a point worth discussing because this, this really surprised me. There are so many ways that you can deliver the same emotion without saying, I'm getting a boner, right? But this is okay. I've watched enough of these films where you have the special ops military guys, and this is something they would say. So you, so you're just accepting this as a common colloquialism. Yes. So are, would you say that this is put in this movie solely to further alienate the character of a of Emily Blunt because she's the only female in the caravan at that point when our character says, "I'm getting a boner." She's pretty much the only female in in the entire film. Yeah, except, yeah, except yeah, for like one bar so, scene. She is the only female in the film. So, so yeah, do, so are you saying that that is a further kind of separation? No, for I don't. I, well, I, yes, I think it's meant for the audience as a way of once again uh, putting her, isolating her. But at the same time, I think if you did see how a lot of these special ops guys talk, whether there's a woman present or not, I think that's just the the uh, sort of language they would use. That is something I have no experience with. Uh, when I'm sitting in meetings with Department of Homeland Security talking about cybersecurity, no one talks about their genitalia. To be fair, <laughs> sitting in a, a conference room discussing things is a lot different than being in Juarez, Mexico with uh, Extraction Jackson as a, a car is following you through the streets. Uh, I don't know. I think I don't know. You there's a remember. little bit of a difference there. you got to remember, much, but... I'm in that conference room, Zach. Oh, I forgot. You're... Are you the Extraction Jackson in that conference room? <laughs> that is how every single one of my presentations begins, especially the one I gave in Thailand. I went, everybody, call me Extraction Jackson. <laughs> So, Rob, what kind of snack do we eat during this? No, 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 no. You're jumping ahead. You're jumping ahead. We got more to talk about. We got more to talk about. I think we should have eggs with jalapenos. No, no. We have more to talk about. Um, and tortillas. Speaking of Extraction Jackson. And coffee. Has we, to have coffee. A scene, we have a scene that we need to talk about, Zach. Okay? Okay? It's you not know a snack. More than one, you, you know the war seems a, 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 a major point of this film. It's not the only one. It is. It's not the only scene. Um, I want to get your opinion on the interrogation scene. Because yeah, it's a pretty good scene. It is. No, no, no. I, I really like the way it was shot. I really like the tension of it. Uh, the thing that stood out to me is we get a shot of Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin in the room alone with Extraction Jackson after he's been extracted. So he's extracted Jackson at that point. Doesn't sound as good. De no, it doesn't. Del Toro 
gets his dick in his face. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Like, Benicio, like, literally straddles this guy as he's tied to a chair and gets his... Benicio Del Toro is fully clothed. It's a total power move. He's like, I'm putting my junk in your face. What do you think about that scene, Zach? That scene really fucking threw me for a loop. I was like, I've seen some torture scenes before. That is a that was a new one for me. Well, you can't just look at it just in that uh, particular scene. It's the whole sequence because how it starts off with your friend from Burn Notice is yeah. in the room with uh, Extracted Jackson and is f- drinking, uh, uh, giving him the bottle of water. Mm-hmm. And Josh Brolin's like, "Oh man, you're filling his belly up with water." Yeah. And then we cut back outside, or he goes up and he's like, uh, do you know where so-and-so is? He's like, no hablo inglés. And obviously Josh Brolin has a smirk on his face. And we cut back to Benicio Toro outside getting a glass of water or a cup of water himself. And a government official comes up to him, obviously someone that Benicio Del Toro is friendly with. To mm-hmm. a, Well, as friendly as Benicio Del Toro's character could be in this film with somebody and yeah, it was a it was a exposition side character as far as no, I'm well, no, well, yeah, it's exposition side character, but but I feel like this is another character that if, if we got this film, you'd hope this again. This feels like a character that lives in this universe, and Benicio del Toro obviously, believably, has encountered before. Mm-hmm. And as they're talking, like I said, it's exposition, like Rob said. There's no denying that, though. But during the sequence, Benicio del Toro like throws his little paper cup of water away, oh and we see it him was- picks. We see him beautiful. Fix up. It was beautiful. I, I love the way that was shot. That you don't realize what he has picked up till he's yes. walking away. He, well, he picks it up. His in, in exposition secondary character, as Rob calls it, looks at him, looks down at whatever he's holding, and then looks back up at him. Very, this is all done very subtly with just eye movements. Yes. And and we obviously Benicio del Toro thanks the guy for whatever he's doing. And he goes to turn away in the secondary uh, expository dialogue character looks at him as he walks away with a gallon industrial, not gallon, it's more than that. It's like a 10, was it 10 gallon? 8 gallon? uh, Common water coolers are 8 gallons. 8 gallons, that's what I figured, 8 gallons. Um, 8 gallon water jug as he walks into the interrogation room where Extracted Jackson is. And like Rob already described, he straddles him, puts his junk right in his face. He and... he literally asks him for a Hummer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never escaping that ammo. What if we add a Hummer? Hold this beep. I got this. Watch front counter. Third episode in a row, we're getting that clip in here. <laughs> I look forward to seeing how we how we weave that into a Jurassic World Two dinosaur boogaloo. Watch um... the front counter. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway though and then obviously uh extracted jackson looks at josh brolin and says something and josh brolin uh, retorts no hablo inglés remember and the next thing we know we get a shot of extracted jackson yelling obviously uh benicio del toro and josh brolin are torturing him and while we're hearing this we see a shot of a storm or a uh a drain in the room as we just slowly zoom in on the drain cut to next scene yeah yeah that's a that's a as a very uh, understated scene in the film but a very well crafted scene nonetheless that's probably my favorite scene in the entire film um uh, you know I, the, I thought it was like i was getting the boner i thought that was your favorite scene no that well no that's not even my favorite line my favorite line is the fiji thing um oh, okay the, i'm getting a boner just stood out to me so much that i had to talk about it 
No, but, but to be honest, um, like I, I joked about it already, and I said, you know, that he's he's uh, Benicio del Toro is basically like the torture is you're giving me a Hummer, uh, but it it doesn't show the torture, but explains it well enough, and I think that is something that takes care. I'm hesitant to say talent. It takes care to craft a scene that way. Because when you think about, um, you know, our, the viewing audience of today, any age range, I would say as a whole, we're somewhat desensitized to violence. And if you just show us a scene where someone is legitimately getting tortured, uh, you know, yeah, it's a torture scene. It might be uncomfortable to some people, but at the end of the day, it serves its purpose. This scene in Sicario, the torture scene in Sicario, it leaves a lot, all of it, to the imagination. And I'm surprised by how well that worked for me. I'm surprised by how much I enjoyed them not showing me a gruesome torture scene and just letting my brain fill in the gaps with the implications that they provided. I was actually okay with that. Going from the hot favorite scene of the movie, I want to go to my least favorite scene of the movie. The scene that I hate in every movie, uh, every time it comes up, when we get one character, there's always one, not always, but when it happens in a movie, there's always one character who basically pouts at the screen and goes, tell me what's happening or the movie's over. And that was Daniel Kaluuya in this one. Very unfortunately, he's a great actor. You know, I already talked about Bing Madsen in uh, 15 Million Merits from Black Mirror. He's the get out guy. Get out. I love get out. I love uh, Jordan Peele. So, you know, I loved his directorial debut. Um, but literally, the only purpose Daniel Kaluuya serves in this movie is to be the person who goes, give me answers or I leave. And that is not a good mechanism of a movie. I'd rather have details given to me naturally than a character going, giving an ultimatum, an ultimatum to both the characters and the audience. That's how I feel. Like, honestly, that's how I feel when Daniel Kaluuya gets his own shot in the movie of going, don't leave us in the dark. Tell us what's going on. I'm ready to turn it off because I don't need to know what's going on. I'm invested in the movie already. No, I, I think I think you're uh, interpreting this the wrong way. He's not meant to be the character. He's not meant to be a stick in the mud. He's meant to be. He's think about it, you. Emily Blunt has one of two choices in this film. She has the way again entering the world of Josh Brolin yes. or, or David. Col not, do I, I keep saying David. I keep thinking David Oliva. I keep thinking of <laughs> Oliva. Um, Daniel Kaluuya. He's trying again. He's the pathway back to the world of Law and Order. But the problem is that you have two. You have two paths. That Emily Blunt is given. She's given uh, Daniel Kaluuya's world, mm -hmm. which is the law of which is the world of Law and Order, yet ineffectiveness. Yet you have the world of Josh Brolin, which you can get things accomplished, but it involves with corrupting yourself. And that's what it is. She is giving – and that's why for – even though she, Daniel Kaluuya is not really there for most of the, what, first half of the movie. He, he's there bits yeah. and pieces. Yeah. But it's toward the later end. He is meant to be that divergent path. Because it's even stated earlier on in the film where Josh Brolin asked Victor Garber – 
what's up with our partner? And it's like, oh, he's uh, again ROT scholarship graduate from I forget what law school, very uh, prestigious law yeah, school. He's like, yeah, he's like, they nah, don't want, nah, they don't want, want him. Yes, and that's what it is. they don't want a lawyer. They they want someone who who wants to get things accomplished. And I think the whole point in the films that you have this again, he is supportive of her, and he does it. He said, "Yo, he's saying like, oh, let's just walk away. Let's make them eat this." And I think the whole point of having him in the film later is it progresses more and more, and it shows that Emily Blunt is choosing the path of Josh Brolin. She is going down that path, and she is, even though she's still with, again, much like how Josh Brolin and Benicio del Toro work within the system. I think it's mentioned earlier on in the film too. I think it's the second scene with Victor Garber where the goalposts are being constantly moved. It's like she keeps saying this isn't correct, this isn't right. And Victor Garber tells her it's like there is no right or right or wrong. The goalposts are constantly changing, and all you can do is go with the flow each time they move. And I think that's what it is too. Is that again, Josh Brolin lives in this very fluid world where Daniel Kalua is very much rigid crystallized it's this very fixed position on the outlook oh, of the world okay so so you're saying the scene where daniel kaluuya demands exposition that's not for exposition's sake that is for the the sake of emily blunt's character being further torn between those two facets of the war I, on the I cartels think it, i think it's both i think you need you need the exposition well, well the no, same no, no, here here i want to push back on that because honestly, what is the answer we get from Josh Brolin? The answer is that they're going after a major drug kingpin. Of course it is. Like, honestly, before we had even gotten that, Daniel Kaluuya was like, what the fuck is going on? What are we doing here? And I'm like, you're going after a major player in the cartels. What else would you think these people but are he, going after? But he, but he doesn't know that at this point. He doesn't Emily know that, but... You know what? That's fair. I've I've watched all of Law and Order, and I know that whenever they're going after cartels, they're going after the kingpin. So I wasn't surprised by that aspect. I was more surprised that he didn't that not just he that our main characters, even Emily Blunt. Why wouldn't the goal be to take down the kingpin? But why she, but, wouldn't you assume that? Because you know, again, you know how these things work too. It's the thing they, they go after bit players sometimes. It's kind of like even uh, Benicio del Toro has a line of dialogue in the film saying that try, getting the kingpin is like getting a vaccine to a disease. It's it's incredibly rare, and you have a very brief opportunity to do it. It doesn't it doesn't happen often. And even the what, what were you calling him a secondary expository dialogue character yeah. even <laughs> says in three days all the players are going to be scattered across the board. And I think that's what it is. It's the whole idea is that you think about, it. again, oh my God, Kaluuya and Emily Blunt are meant to be thrown into this. They really have, no, again, they're not used to this. Their job is what, whoever you describe them as, mm -hmm. is that they're there to help. They're like a SWAT team that's there to help hostages in a highly aggressive scenarios and or very volatile explosive scenarios. They're not used to being soldiers on the front line. Yeah. They are very responsive, not reactive. Okay. And I think that's what it is. And I do agree with you. I think it is meant to be exposition for the audience, but I think that's there for the first viewing. Because as I was watching this, every time I looked at something that I'm like, oh, I know what I know everything that's coming in this film now. As I watched it, I found another layer to it, which I think is the the hallmark of a great film or any oh, sort of project. Absolutely. That, that, it, that it's that, multi-layered and you can appreciate it on different levels yes. the more and more you, you 
viewing. Yeah, I mentioned before that I, I was tempted to actually watch this again before we recorded this episode. I didn't, but I was tempted to. And I'm, I'm definitely going to watch it again after this. <laughs> What I would advise with this is that I would I, – I, I can't tell you how to live your life, but I would advise putting this on ice. Like, like not watch it immediately again, but give it, a, give it some time just to kind of stew, so to speak, and then come back to it. Because I think if, we go, if you delve yes. right back into yeah. it, it might – It's like a lot of things are – I don't want – well, I can, I can, like I said, I, I might be giving myself a little too much credit here, but I don't want to say that I'm imprinting on you what – or impressing on you, like, oh, this is what this scene means. Like I said, maybe a month from now, maybe like in like some, let's say for the sake of argument, let's say I go see uh, Sicario two. We're running out of weird uh, subtitles to give all these weird sequels. Sicario um, harder. <laughs> I, th- I think I think Sicario two day of the blank might be another Electric Boogaloo or Die Harder. Like I think that's almost up there. Like it's like, you, know, you have Die Hard two, Die Harder. You have Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. I think Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado. I think that's almost as, as good as those. I think that, like, like, what movie are we going to see? Oh, we're going to see Fantastic 2, Day of the, I don't know, Nomad. It's like, it's like that, that's a really good, like, like a, 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 a subtitle for a sequel. Day of the Blank. I think, yeah. like, there's potential there. That there's there's some like we might not even have to make up a fake one for Sicario too. It's just oh there God. already. You're so right. I'm thinking like Fantastic Planet Two, Day of the Drugs, Endless Two, Day of the Staircase. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's great. <laughs> it's built. It's it's baked in already with Sicario. We don't need to. We don't have to outthink it. Um, <laughs> I think with no. like Jurassic Park Two, uh, Dinosaur Boogaloo, Sicario Two is like, don't worry, guys, we got this handled. <laughs> nice, nice. Fun fact is for our audience. A couple of day, like a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Sicario too, Day of the Soldado, and Rob and I actually for like a split, like what twenty seconds, we were convinced that Soldado was a made up term until we Googled it and found out that it made soldier. We're like, I is thought this it even had a word? To do with the sun? <laughs> That's what we thought. Like, like for a solid, like t- like wasn't long, but like for like a solid, like 20, 30 seconds, we we're like. Do they just make up a word? I thought, I thought Soldado meant Day of the Sun, so it would have been Sicario 2, Day of the Day of the Sun. <laughs> That's- <laughs> this is probably going to be your favorite reference in this movie after I say it. Okay, Zach, are you ready? Oh boy. In one of the final scenes of this movie, Benicio Del Toro goes... To Emily Blunt's apartment. Emily Blunt is haphazardly trying to smoke a cigarette alone in her apartment. Uh, she can't light it for whatever reason. And Benicio del Toro shows up and he has a document that is basically like, listen, Emily Blunt, you gotta sign this. It says we didn't do anything illegal, we did everything by the book. You gotta, you gotta sign this document. You know what scene I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a huge scene at the end. And of course, we get at the beginning, Emily Blunt's like, I can't do this. It goes against all of the morals I presented in this movie. I cannot sign this document. And here we go. What does Benicio Del Toro do other than put a gun to her chin? So straight up pistol under her jaw. And he's like, here we go, Zach. He says, come on, sign it. Come on, sign it. Literally. The words, quote, come on, sign it. Come on, sign it. 
Now, once again, our audience has not had the pleasure. We have recorded the episode, but it has yet to be released of Perfect Hair Forever. Zach, do you remember when Uncle Grandfather had to uh, arbitrate the peace treaty between the hot dog buns and the cats? How did he try and get them to sign a peace agreement? General meow. Grandelburn. Okay, I got somewhere I got to be, so come on, sign it. Come on, sign it. I got somewhere to be, so sign it. Benicio del Toro uses the same exact negotiation tactics as Uncle Grandfather from Perfect Hair Forever. Come on, sign it. That is the last scene I wanted to talk about. Zach, is your mind blown? I am spritzing the battery acid into my mouth right now. <laughs> Come on. Sign it. I got somewhere to be. You know, there's no greater... Like, okay, in Sign the Star it. Wars podcast, the phrase, this is great podcasting, is uttered at least once per recording. Um, we make this joke in reference to when we're uh, showing things on camera that the audience cannot see because uh, podcasting is an auditory medium, not a visual one. Um, <laughs> Rob might have just elevated this even further. Referencing something in an episode we recorded months ago, yet it's not released yet. <laughs> we did it in our Claws episode. <laughs> I know. At this point, the Perfect Hair Forever episode has been referenced more times. It's a legend. Point where it's, it's a funny. I don't think that episode is coming out until, again, at, over a month from now. Yeah. It's and like Rob the end of July we have it scheduled for. It's worth noting, folks, I have not even edited that episode yet. I do not remember that. We had that <laughs> conversation like in the middle of April, yet I still have no... I, I, I've never listened to it, yet Rob somehow remembers every single moment of like four hours of discussion. Come on. Sign it. <laughs> All right, so Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado. Maybe, that, maybe that's what Soldado means. Come on, sign it in Come Spanish. On. I got somewhere to be. So sign it. <laughs> yes, the sequel. This is so exciting. I, after dinosaur fucking stupidity, I'm so excited to talk about a sequel that I'm actually looking forward to now. Um, uh, so right off the bat, I want to say the sequel is not going to be directed by Denis Villeneuve. No. No, it's being directed by an Italian person. <laughs> Not even an Italian filmmaker, an Italian person. Yeah, I did they not found him wandering the streets of Italy, and they said, how would you like to direct Sicario 2? And the guy just shrugged his shoulders, and that's how he was hired. And he said, pasta vazul. <laughs> and now he's a director. <laughs> so, so, one, I want to know what Zach thinks about that. But two, of course, we should talk about the plot. Emily Blunt is not involved in this. We are only getting Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin back. So, of course, Day of the Soldado translates to Day of the Soldier, and it is going to focus on Alejandro Gillick, who was Benicio Del Toro's character. Uh, what do you think? Well, just kind of right off the bat, Zach, what do you think? You Are you excited, or do you think it's not – are you unsure – excuse me, unsure of what to think? What's your opinions? Just because well, you watched the trailer, you read some stuff. I don't – I haven't had that much immersion to it yet. Well, I just I know that it exists. Well, as Rob was uh, rambling on about nonsense and I zone out, I did some Wikipedia research on Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado. Um, that, man, that's a fan, fan, uh, fantastic title to say. 
And I actually I saw the tra- I only saw the first trailer back like in December. Like I already said, I had no idea how they were gonna make a sequel to this. Uh, the trailer looked dumb. There's a great one thing I got to say was a fantastic scene. Uh, the word fantastic is in quotation marks, where Benicio del Toro was like firing like uh it's like a gat almost, or he's just like he's like, like it, it's it's a weird scene and didn't like I said made no blip on my radar and have not really thought about it outside of the funny name or the funny subtitle. But while Rob was rambling on about Johan Johansson, <laughs> I looked up the uh, premise on Wikipedia, and I am, I'm not as angry as I was during the Halloween trailer. Thank God that wasn't recorded. Can you, um, uh, can you, can you read this for us? Would you uh, mind? Sure. How long is um, it? If it's not too long, could no, you read it's like, it? It's like six lines. Um, after discovering that Mexican drug cartels are smuggling Sicario terrorists across the U.S. border, the CIA sends Matt Graver and former undercover operative, I'm not saying his name, Benicio Del Toro, to eliminate the problem. They kidnap Isabella Reyes, oh, the Transformers 5 girl, the daughter of a drug lord in a false flag operation designed to incite war between rival cartels. The mission goes awry when it's discovered by the Mexican government, prompting Graver to order Reyes' death. Is when Benicio, who? No, keep. Sorry, keep going. I, I thought you were done. Keep going. When when Benicio del Toro refuses, he turns rogue to protect her as Graver assembles a new team to hunt them both. Um, you know what they should have called this movie instead of Day of the Soldado? They should have called it Sicario Two, Terminator Two, Judgment Day, or Sicario Two. Um, let's rip off Logan. This this feel this reeks of Logan. Like this, re- like I look forward to some point in this film where Benicio del Toro has a uh, a uh, brain degenerative disease and a clone <laughs> Josh Brolin stabs him through the chest. Um, so I look f- well, I look forward just, to that moment just in this to, film. Just to clarify, in the summary that you read, Graver is Josh Brolin. Yes. So so basically, what you told us, the sequel is setting the stage. For Benicio and Josh Brolin being at odds with each other. Yes. Mm. No, no. This is, this is, you saw Logan, a highly edited version in like Singapore. Yeah, I saw it on an airplane. (laughs) Exactly. This is exactly what Logan was. Minus the weird Professor X stuff. It's like, it's Terminator 2. A, A dangerous, lethal man has a heart, protects a child from, from people. It's like no, this is dumb. This is a. It's weird ah, that the same the same person who you. wrote Sicario One also is writing this, and they wrote Whoa. Hell or High Water. Hold on. Yes, yes. Okay, I'm sorry, Zach. I killed it. I killed the moth. I killed the fucking moth. I'm so excited. <laughs> Composure regained. <laughs> Just to let people know, um, when we first started, like uh, on the Skype call, like eight hours ago, Rob uh, prefaced before we said anything about anything. Um, there's a moth in my apartment. I have I a fly. Sw- I have a fly swatter. So if I if I just all of a sudden go like nuts. Apparently he's afraid of moths. No, um, well, I don't, we my cats aren't afraid that. of moths. We haven't gotten into me and moths in this podcast yet. But we'll save that for the Mothman episode. There's a history. The yes. writer is the same one from the first film. He also wrote Hell or High Water. He's also an actor, Taylor Sheridan. Like I said, you think, I, I don't know. I, I expect I expect better than a ripoff of uh, the Terminator Two formula. But uh, considering that, like Rob said, Denis Villeneuve is not involved with this, I'm not surprised that I, he's apparently producing it. But who knows what that means? That could mean a lot. That could mean very little. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, I, after reading the description, um, I, even though I'd like to see where they go with these characters, I am not uh, holding my breath after that description. I hope that the description is not doing the final film justice. Okay, okay. Well, I, I think, um, you know, uh, what, with everything I've said, I'm going to rewatch the first one, Sicario. I would love to rewatch it. I'm going to. Uh, and I think I'm going to check out the sequel. You know, regardless of what I read about it, everything I read about it prior to Zach just reading that synopsis, um, it, I just really knew it was about Benicio Del Toro's character. I, I didn't know that they were doing the, the face-off between him and Josh Brolin. That's pretty cool. Uh, overused, yes, it's nothing new, but, but certainly. Um, I think I'm going to check it out. I was so I was so kind of disjointed from this movie when I watched it. The one time I watched it, I was so kind of at odds with what was going on and, and being confused about why characters were doing things and going on these big missions. Uh, I didn't really think of a snack. Now, that should be clarified. I did eat a snack while I watched this movie. For about the last 45 minutes, I busted out uh, <laughs> some hot, dry salami. <laughs> like some... Like some basically hot soprasada, but really hot, really dry soprasada. <laughs> and that's what I ate as I actually watched this movie. So to supplement that I have no good snack to think of, I would I would say you should eat what I actually ate, which was some good, dry, hot calabrese salami. <laughs> I think it's less of eating a particular item or food. I think what you do is, uh, much like how Emily Blunt is disoriented in this film, before you eat any snacks during this film, someone puts you like in an office chair, blindfolds you, spins you around like a hundred times, and while you're like, like your equilibrium is trying to like get balanced, you inhale jalapeno eggs and coffee. <laughs> you inhale? You inhale them? You eat it that fast. You eat it so fast, so you're disoriented and you feel nauseous while you're eating it. I just love the phrase, inhale jalapeno eggs. There you go. Because <laughs> I've made jalapeno eggs, and if you inhale those, your fucking septum's getting deviated, like 100%. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Already, Rob, is this movie a cinemodity? You know what? So, I'm tempted to say yes to cinemodity, but I don't know if I'm speaking in a vacuum. You know, I, I, I feel that part of my reasoning for say that this movie is a cinemodity and maybe even a late night movie is because it's so different from anything we've done in a while. Like you mentioned before, this is kind of that movie that we both kind of like, we respect, we... It, it's different, right? It's different from anything we've ever done on cinemodities. It's something that's actually good. It's not, it's not uh, farcical or irreverent or uh, silly. Yeah, this is something that I can honestly say that if I had, you know, there's a there's a good handful of people that I can honestly think of that if they were in my apartment and we were hanging out late at night, I'd be like, hey, let's watch this movie. You might like it. And I think they would. So, I, cinemodities, no. Uh, late night movie, maybe. I, I don't know. That might be a first for me. I think this is definitely the first uh, serious movie we've ever discussed on here. Yeah, Ground, yeah, grounded. It's grounded. It's serious. I don't think we ever discussed anything like that before on here. You know what? That's a yeah. I think you're right. This is this is probably the most down to earth movie we've ever talked about. Should we play the breaking new ground sound? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> right on, right on. I hope we I hope we get to do the sequel eventually. 
I hope yes. we get to talk about that eventually. Uh, before we sign off, I should say next week we're back to dinosaurs. So oh, if you really if you really enjoyed last week's episode where Rob was just incomprehensibly drunk and angry, and Zach was just incomprehensibly angry. Tune in next week. You're going to get that exact same thing. <laughs> oh, God, I really don't want to talk about any more dinosaurs. I know, but... Or Colin Trevorrow. Let me rephrase that. Colin Trevorrow dinosaurs. Yeah, we're getting not Colin Trevorrow dinosaurs. Well, he, right? he, he wrote it. He wrote the script. Oh, oh. It's the same people from the first one that wrote oh, it. It's just a different director. God. And Chris Pratt's in it. Yes, and Bryce and, Howard. Oh, God. And B.D. Wong. Oh, ooh, okay, that I'm excited about. And Jeff Goldblum for one scene. Oh, I read about that, yes. Um, He's in one scene, yeah, it's in every single marketing uh, shot. You know what, can I can I make a prediction that I didn't make in our Jurassic World episode? Okay. I think Masrani, the Indian Peter Hammond, or whatever his name was. Yes. I think he's going to be alive. I think he's going to be in the second movie. Yeah. 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 That's my thoughts on that. Yeah. <laughs> That's my one prediction I came up with that I didn't think of last week. So so put that right next to my prediction of $210 million in opening weekend for Dinosaur I'm, I'm I am putting my prediction of it's, is it's going to be stupid. Well, that... <laughs> Isn't that that's the tagline? That's not that's uh that's that's the tagline. Jurassic yeah, World. Yeah, that's on 2, the poster, it's isn't it? Stupid. <laughs> Jurassic World Two, Dinosaur Boogaloo. Quote: It's gonna be stupid. So tune in next week for more dinosaurs. Zach, the one last question I have to ask you: Do you have any idea how we're gonna end this episode? I, for once, I do not have an answer. So are we going back to the uh, the Cinemodities in, and Inspiriority Complex intro backwards? I think so. So they can get angry at us again? Good. It's been a while, right? It certainly has. Okay, cool. I like it. Next week we'll have some crazy dinosaur nonsense, I'm sure. Sign it. Sign it. Sign it.